Okay. I think we're good enough. I think it should be good. I'm just going to lift. Okay. Sorry about that. I took too long to get set up. I didn't start setting up actually until exactly 2 o'clock. So, yeah. Mm. What can you do? So first order of business, because Milcom can't be here the whole time, is after we finish with Wittgenstein, which won't be for a while, he was he suggested we read some Hegel. And I wanted to know Ooh. what people think about this. I'm personally a fan of going through a secondary source, as he was suggesting, instead of starting with Phenomenology of Spirit directly. I think it would be helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. If we just started with a Phenomenology, I feel like that would be... That would be overwhelming. Way too much, yeah. It would be very overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. I'd be pretty intimidated, personally. Yeah, so I think that's a very positive response. Milcom, mm -hmm. what do you think? Uh, would Kane's book be good as a secondary source? Just, uh, have any of you gone through it? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Welcome. We have lives, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know what you expect from us. Uh, alright, so, uh, I'll work with Raymond and see what we can. You what? Uh, I'm <coughs> working with uh, Raymond. Oh, oh. You guys are yes, working on something. Were, what are you we working on? How we would go through a Hegel and uh, oh. the kind of preliminary readings we might need to look into before we get into some of his uh, bigger texts. Hmm. Raymond, are you like a philosophy buff? Uh, I mean, I've taken classes in high school and college, but I can't say I'm a... Uh, professional oh. then why has yeah, milcom acknowledged you why has milcom acknowledged you and taken you into his academic elitist planning circle huh i truthfully <laughs> have no clue <laughs> milcom. i'm a cringe undergrad oh see <laughs> i have already graduated college i already have my undergraduate degree and i also took philosophy classes in college so milcom like i don't know like why you're leaving me out of this like i'm hurt uh, because Rayman is a base ML. That's fair. <laughs> That's totally fair. I am capitalist scum. So. <clears throat> Material <laughs> conditions. Uh, yuck. Okay. All right. Anyways. Um, oh, wait. Let me go get my water, actually. Just a minute. That to be said. understand what we read <laughs> i mean i don't know i'm being a dick but i think we got section one you got section one okay <laughs> milcom or reman because reman you've read this before right uh yeah 
Did you, did you, do you understand it? Could you uh, enlighten us on what we're supposed to get out of it? Uh, I'll try. Awesome. So, to me, what the first uh, few sections really mean is that... Ooh, did you guys hear forward. that? It was thunder. It's loud. Ooh. Sorry. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. If you uh, if you look at the uh, spreadsheet, right? <laughs> like the uh, illustration of the book that uh, I think Freedom posted in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What section one basically says is that anything that exists is like the cake. Well, hang on. How can I explain this in a way that isn't exactly how he said it? <laughs> basically, basically, if it's real, it is true, essentially. Okay. And he's uh, starting to discern from untrue and true thoughts as uh, the true thoughts are being those of which are present in reality. And then he goes into the idea that a uh, there are facts, and that this uh, then has a smaller... Uh, there's atomic facts, which are essentially the building block of all facts. It's the smallest unit of this, right? Mm-hmm. And then he starts going into how a language uses these facts to uh, explain the world, and he describes language as a way that we uh, communicate pictures and images. For example, if I was to say something like... a, a two ice cubes in a glass of water, you have a clear mental image of that. Mm-hmm. He's trying to say that a language is like through these images. And then he goes on to a... Well, four is the section when he starts uh, trying to bridge into the ideas of what he tries to express with the uh, truth function. But uh, what he's saying is that... a. Uh... Let me think of how I want to say this to me one second. I mean, to be fair, this is like my second time re- trying to get through it, and it's like around the time of four that I just throw it away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I, it's back. I don't know what the fuck is happening. I'm worried like something's wrong with my cord, maybe, because it like keeps getting disconnected. But like, I don't mm. know what it. Oh, wait. I remember I did something before and then it stopped happening as much i don't know anyways sometimes it's the cord sometimes it's the port it really could be anything yeah really you're right you're right it's just so fucking annoying i actually fucking hate usb-c i'm not gonna lie i feel like they're just shit like nothing like stays like usb-c like connection like the actual physical port like it pisses me off like it's shit like, it's not, I don't know, I hate it so much. I hate it. It's not sticky at all. Not exactly! It's not sticky at all, and it just feels like everything just, like, wants to fall out of it. I just, fuck that. Like, I fucking hate it. I don't know. Okay, so uh, I think I figured out how I want to go about this. Also, wait, so, hold up. Ozzy, you've yeah? read this before? Um, I was taught it last semester, for my last semester of college. I tried reading it once. And this is my second time trying to go through it. Okay. So, like, I'm familiar with everything up to around four. But, like, legit, I checked it out at the library, and I was just reading it, and I got to four, and I just turned it back in. I'm just like, no. I see. Okay, sorry, Reuben, continue. Okay, so when he's saying proposition, you must uh, kind of understand what he means by that, because that's a bit of a strange thing to say. So uh, at this point in his uh, life, Wittgenstein was a logical positivist. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, when he's using proposition in this sense, I'm pretty sure he's referring to like a, a small bit of communication that uh, shares some sort of attitude and uh, has some sort of a true or false uh, piece to it. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that uh, your thoughts are built up of these. Well, hang on. Uh, well, yeah, he's saying that these thoughts are these propositions, like significant propositions. Does that make sense? Or did I just kind of restate exactly what he said? I think what you've said so far makes sense um, to me. Um, well, I, I, the thing is, so like, what is the difference between a proposition and a fact? I mean, I feel to me at least that propositions uh, have some sort of attitude towards the uh, uh, true or falseness of a statement. For example, a proposition is as different from a fact in the sense that a proposition can be false. So, is a fact like a proposition? That is true? I mean, in some sense, yeah, I guess. Okay. Oh, there's this tidbit that really helped me, like, frame, like, the general argument that my professor... So, can I just, like, vomit that? Yes, please do. Please. There were... What he argued, um, Christopher Miner, if you want to know, is that Wittgenstein was talking about three different spheres of the world or whatever Mm -hmm. but three different spheres one the base one is the world then it's language and then it's thought and Wittgenstein argued that these three disparate realms can be broken down and share like the same scaffolding as each other so there's a way to just perfectly take the world and then transfer it into language, and then transfer it into thought. Oh, so kind of like you can translate between yes. the three. Yeah. So my, this is just me throwing a shot in the dark, but I would say that a fact, quote-unquote, would be something that is in the world that is rendered into language. Yes, that makes sense, yeah. And then a proposition would be something rendered into thoughts, which then can be like blacklisted onto the world to see whether or not it's true or false. Wait, so right, yeah. wait, which direction does proposition go? It goes from it goes from thought to proposition. The world. It goes from thought to world. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Interesting. That's actually cool. Okay, proposition. Yeah, because like I mean. Parts of this I felt like were really clear and I got what he was saying, and then parts mm-hmm. of it I just had no idea. I was just like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, just because it's funny how you misunderstood. What? It's kind of funny how he was misunderstood in the preface as well because the way. Uh, uh, you mean the introduction? Sorry. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. The, I'm talking about introduction by Bertrand Russell. Yeah, so, like yeah, yeah. in Bertrand Russell's introduction, that a proposition is an assertion of a fact, which is quite not what Wittgenstein is saying when he's saying that proposition is, is the translation between thought and world. Even if the guy who wrote the introduction to the book 
misunderstood him, then yeah, he's probably misunderstand. Well, let's like, can we find yeah. where he defines preposition? Actually, that might be helpful. That would that be three somewhere? I have no idea. Yeah. Oh wait, let's look um, at the map. We can look at the map. It's oh, map. Yeah. It's the map. We find the map. What is that? What is the door of the explorer? There's a three uh, I, I remember that, but I can't say I remember how it goes. The thought, so, so four is the thought is the significant proposition. Well, I mean, that's not, that's definitely not the first time he talks about proposition. Well, in 3.1, yeah. 3.1 apparently is. In the, in the proposition, the thought is expressed perceptibly through the senses. In the proposition. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well. So. 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 Proposition is an expression of the thought. Okay. Yes. Okay. Through the senses. So like. Oh, and just to clarify, um, I don't know, cause like the one I posted had, you know, the German and two English translations. From what I understand, Ogden translation, which is the one in the center, is the one Wittgenstein officially endorsed. Um. Mm -hmm. Just and so that's the one. Uh, I was using, um, especially yeah. because um, it, the, I think the biggest difference is like in there's the terms. Um, uh, shit, what is it? I mean, like in, in in the in the Ogden translation, he uses they they use uh, state um, or atomic facts, whereas in the other one they use states of affairs, and I think atomic facts is a better way of putting it. I forget what the German term is. I have to look at it again. Um, yeah, so Sachverhaltes, I guess, is, I don't know German, but it's either translated as atomic fact or states of affairs, and it's more accurate, apparently, to say atomic fact. Because then there's hmm. another one, the other word... Um, is it com compound or complex? I forget. But anyway, so uh, I guess I don't know what you guys read when you read. The I I also the read the Ogden one. Too. I just I, my physical is in Ogden. Yeah. Anybody not read the Ogden? Okay. That's yeah, good. I'm glad. Uh, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I I forgot. Uh, I also have a physical copy or like a book, um, and it's the Ogden translation. I was so happy because I did. I actually did print this out um, at work because free paper. But um, then <laughs> free paper, <laughs> free paper, free ink. You know, except for I still did conserve it. Like I printed it. Um, I, I two to a page, so it was very tiny. But then I realized that the one I, um, anyways, um, okay. So yeah, moral of the story is Ogden translation, guys. That's the one. Although it's nice to have both. So you can, if you're like really stumped, you can look at see a different interpretation. Uh, but that's the one mm -hmm. that Wittgenstein approved, apparently. So that's um, good to know. Anybody know German here? No. Nope. Where's Happy Cats? <laughs> like, gosh, she actually is fucking German. Oh, well. Yeah. That's okay. 
Uh, so I see you're here, disposable. Yes, uh, I'm sorry I am late. Yeah, what the fuck? Jeez. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Ozzy, you get the Daddy Taggart. You don't have it yet, right? You what? Need, I need to give you the roll, because Daddy Taggart means that you've actually shown up. Woo! So you get that. All right. So officially. Hopefully first of many. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because we're going to be on a Wittgenstein binge, so you should definitely stick with us for it. Yes. Um. In fact, you should just be a part of the regular crew. That would be awesome, you know. That would be quite swell. Yeah. I ought to be a part of the regular crew. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't even know that there was any rhyme or reason to the roles. Uh, well, I mean, so, okay. Uh, John Galt is, like, basically mods, I guess, but not really. I feel yeah. like it'd be cool if eventually everybody was John Galt, but we'll just see how it goes. Vanguard. Um, I don't know. It's just like, you know, um, like last time when we did the debates and then it was Cryo was there and I was like, eh, we should all, all of us, because it was me to something and Cryo and like, I was like, oh, why don't we just all be John Galt? And so I made him John Galt. And then I feel like, I don't know, uh, I feel like everybody should be John Galt. But I don't want to just immediately do that. You know what I mean? You got to prove yourself. Yeah. So, and then, so the Richard Halley role, Richard Halley is the musician in Atlas Shrugged. This is Atlas Shrugged themed, by the way. John Gall is like, he's, he's not the main character, but he's like the main true love of the main character. And he's like super badass. Like he's like ultimate capitalist ubermensch, right? Uh, and so that's why John Galt's in charge. I mean, we're in Galt's Gulch. Like, come on. Uh, Richard Halley is a musician or a composer. And that's for the people who can record, like Riemann, except for you have only did it the first time. You never even fucking uploaded it. So I uploaded it. It was just a shit upload. Yes, it doesn't matter. It's still shit. You know, we're not paying you for... It's, this isn't about the labor theory of value, okay? <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is about... Um, I forget. Uh, um... Anyways, and then Dagny Tagger just means that you've showed up. So at least you're like, you know, there in a, in a meeting. If you have that role, it means you've been to one of the actual discussions. And then I think there's someone else, Eddie Willis, because just some guy who was just a fool. And so I made him Eddie Willis because Eddie's the ultimate simp. That's what the roles mean. I think hate's actually also mm -hmm. a Jew. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's a Jew. Yeah, I know. That's why. That's why he has the Jew role. Uh, that's just for fun. I have the Romanian role, and you there's should. also the, the Dr. Floyd Ferris role for people. Oh, Dr. Floyd Ferris. Oh yeah. We were we were gonna eventually at one point say, oh, do we want a second reading group? Ha! <laughs> that hasn't happened. But just in case, if we want, because we're actually this may be a relevant time to bring it up because we want to do. Um, we're going to be doing more longer form readings where we're reading a long text week to week, which will be harder to do if you can't make it to all of them. So we were talking about having another reading group where we just read short texts that you could just show up like for a one-off thing. And that was the Floyd Ferris role because Floyd Ferris is a nerd in the book. He's a smarty, smarty pants. So that's why that role is there. Um, so that was the logic. There is a logic to it. Um, but all you have to know okay. is basically, I don't care, except for I own the server. So just, just you know, just, just remember <laughs> yeah, that. As long as you keep your power, nothing matters. Honestly, <laughs> I don't want, I, 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 I like, uh, you know, I don't want to be interventionist, but 
I like the fact that I, I, I own the server. You know, that's fine. I am the CEO of Gal's Exactly, exactly. This <laughs> server is my private property for me to do with as I please. Right now, I like it to be a free space. Um, but I don't know. Anyways. That's it's an anarcho the kids play. It is anarcho-monarchy, and that's perfect. That is perfect. Honestly, like, <laughs> I love that shit. I would love to be king. Like, I'll be king of my anarchist kingdom. And I'll just let it, I'll, I'll be very free. And it won't be like a big, it would be like a city-state, you know? It wouldn't be big. Maybe you can call it a tribe, whatever. But I want to be in charge. But I'll just let, but it'll be a very nice place, I promise. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> Anyways, that was a really long tangent. Um, yeah. Anyways, Ozzy, welcome. Uh, well, I, it's, it's good to be here. In an attempt to steer it back, I do know the something interesting about the introduction, if y'all want to hear. Yeah, definitely. Put mm-hmm. um, so you So someone made the point about this very, very being very easy to misunderstand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, Wittgenstein was very wealthy, right? So he could have published it himself, but he did not want it but he wanted like that approval from a publisher, mm-hmm. but just kept getting rejected from every publisher. So he just went to Bertrand Russell and was like, can you please write an introduction so that this thing could get published? Oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. he, so yeah, Bertrand Russell also doesn't know what he's talking about as we pointed oh, out, but like that wasn't the function of it. The function of it was like, Oh, big philosopher, big philosopher guy. Can you please, show the world that this is meaningful and then everyone else was like okay i guess i guess he's on to something then if bertrand russell yeah if, if he's supporting it wow oh, wow. so that's, not... that's cool that's interesting yeah, this i mean we didn't finish the obviously the investigations but i felt like this was a lot less focused um... Just, I felt like it was a lot harder to understand. I don't know if it's less focused. Mm. Um, Ozzy, do you have any familiar? Do you have any familiarity with the philosophical investigations? I was taught the philosophical investigations. I did not seek that out. What do you mean you were because taught? Because that was it? like what? What do you mean you were taught it? What is it? Um, I took a class on twentieth-century philosophy. And the professor that I was teaching under, he had a really good way of, like, explaining certain things. So, like, I'm familiar with, like, the concept of a language game, but, like, I didn't look at, like, act the actual text. You know, you know? something? Sure. I think I'm retarded because I think I thought I took a philosophy of the mind class, but I actually took a 20th century philosophy class, and that's where I read Wittgenstein. I'm retarded. <laughs> I mean, I could also see him working for philosophy. Yeah, 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 no. Me um, too. But I just realized, because like, I'm thinking about, like, oh, my God, like I, I completely remember that. Because my friend was the one who took philosophy of the mind. It wasn't me. <laughs> and I took 20th century philosophy. That was the first university philosophy class I took. And Wittgenstein changed my life. Anyways. Yeah? He really did. That's what? But anyways, um... Uh, yeah, Ozzy, because we're planning to read because the investigations after this. Um, yes, I, I'm quite down yeah. with Victor Shine. So it was just last week I had something going on. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I felt like, yeah, I feel like the investigations was, it's just so much more clear. I mean, granted, I've read the investigations before. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but anybody else? No, I felt the same way, and I hadn't read either before now. Yeah. Um, it's not that Tractatus is more clear, it's just that Tractatus no. is more compact. No, 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 Tractatus is oh, less yes. clear. I'm saying Tractatus is oh. less clear. It's less yeah, clear. The, no, like, I agree it's less clear, but it's also just like more compact. That's why it might seem like easier to read to an extent. In maybe. Sense. maybe. Um, because it just feels like... Uh, uh, I don't know, it's just rather confusing. Um... So I don't know how we want to go through this. Um, I don't. Milcom, uh, philosopher, sensei. Do you have anything? Well, I didn't read the text, but. Uh, Are you I... shitting me, Milcom? All right. You guys were talking about section three point one, I believe. Yeah. And I was reading. It's further below that, and the section below that would seem to imply that Wittgenstein thinks of thinks of propositions as being in language as opposed to in thought, as was suggested by Ozzy, I think. Mm. Where is that? Like, wait, what? Can you point to something specific? Uh, just in general, the the sections below three point one. Yes, but you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like I can, tr- I can try to find it. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through it now. I am scanning it right now. Let me just three point one one and everything below that. I see where you're coming from. Three point one four. Um. The propositional uh, sign consists in the fact that its elements, the words, are yeah. combined in it in a definite way. I see, I see. Yeah, okay. So I... But then 3.141, it's saying it's not actually the words, but the words are the articulation. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I- I mean, like, I, what's, what's the one, where, where does he bring up, like, the music score in the symphony? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love his analogies. His analogies are yes. beautiful. And can I, I was can reading... I just say... Oh, go ahead. Um, um, like, I am, a, I, I am mainly, like, a creative writing person. Like, I do, like, a lot of literature study, but I will just say, like, this book is, like, gorgeous in places. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's it's just this weird thing where it just, like, descends into jargon, and then he just hits you with these, like, one-line Yo. things. Yo, wait till you get to the investigations, bro. It's, like, all that shit. It's, like, all, it's, like, no jargon, and it's just all, like really clear kind of explanations it's just so insightful like i mean i hate i'm sorry i'm just like jacking off to wittgenstein again but just like holy shit like oh my god it's see i was waiting for you to do this during the first discussion and you never really did (laughs) sorry 
Uh, if you weren't paying attention. So I found it. It's uh, section 4.011. Oh, I found it. I was going to say that I had found it, but I got distracted. I know oh, how sorry. to use control that. Um, wait, why did we want to find the musical score section? Because... Um, it's a good analogy. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's a good analogy, but it's also when it's talking about, like, the sphere thing. Like, the real... Like... The reality of the piece of music is hearing it, and that exists in temporal space. And then you can use sort of clunky algebra almost to render it into a more permanent setting, which is the score. Yeah, but it's not like the pure so form of the language. Yeah, uh... yeah. it's a picture of yeah. the piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. Um, was Vic a musician? Sure thought. Hmm? Was Vic a musician? I mean, he probably played something, but like... Uh, he was a, a part of a w really wealthy family, so I would Yeah, he probably he did something. He was not something. a musician. He could probably play something. definitely around musicians. Yes. Probably. Yes, I assume that at least several of, of his siblings, you know, they were all... Like in aristocracy, so I bet a few of them have. Yeah. Oh wait, okay. I just went on to the um, Wikipedia page. I just said Wikipedia page. Kill me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just Wikipedia page. the Wikipedia page for Wittgenstein, and I just did a, a search for the term music. And I'll just I'll just read this. I haven't read it fully, but I just thought it was funny from the sense I read. For Wittgenstein, who highly valued precision and discipline, contemporary music was never considered acceptable at all. Music, he said to his friend Drury in 1930, came to a full stop with Brahms. And even in Brahms, I can begin to hear the noise of machinery. Ludwig Wittgenstein himself had absolute pitch, and his devotion to music remained vitally important to him throughout his life. He made frequent use of musical examples and metaphors in his philosophical writings, and was unusually adept at whistling lengthy and detailed musical passages. He also learned to play the clarinet in his 30s. A fragment of music, three bars, composed by Wittgenstein, was discovered in one of his 1931 notebooks by Michael Nito, director of the Wittgenstein Institute in Cambridge. Oh. Back in my day, music was so much better than your youngster. I mean, really, though. But Brahms wasn't even. Brahms is like late eighteen hundreds because Brahms is romantic. So it's not yeah. even like he was like ultimate hipster. No, he was. He was like those kids who were like, "Yeah, I listened to Pink Floyd. Am I cool?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh my god, Brahms is great, though. Honestly, he's great. But anyways, um, so he had absolute pitch. But that's not perfect pitch. Oh, is it perfect pitch? It is, it is. Oh, this is the same thing. Okay, because, oh, no, 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 relative pitch is different. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had absolutely... Yeah, relative pitch. is like being able to name intervals, absolute yeah. or perfect, is being able to say, oh, that's a C-sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn, I'm, honestly, I would hate to have perfect pitch, because you just hear everything being out of tune yeah. all the time. I like, that's my friend's, uh, uh... Uh, I've had friends who had perfect pitch, and they would just get mad because I think everybody would go out of tune, like when the choir. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, I have a buddy who has perfect pitch, and when we played in an orchestra that was tuned to like, I think uh, four thirty-eight or something, he was always like complaining about how uh, flat everyone was. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
my roommate has perfect pitch and we're both musicians, but my tuner just broke. And you would think normally like, oh, she's a musician. She's a music major. There's bound to be like tuners everywhere. But no, she doesn't need them. So I'm just like shit out of luck. I have to like, if I want to like get something tuned, I just like go to her and she tunes it. Mm. You use your phone. Yeah. Um, what kind of musician are you? Um, bass. I play the bass guitar. Oh, nice. That's cool. Um, anyways, uh, I'm just, I'm trying to think about how we can best, uh, what's useful, what this discussion can be useful for. I kind of think getting a framework for understanding what he was trying to say is the most helpful, like actually kind of going through his argument and his almost his like uh i don't know what to call it um metaphysics or language i don't even fucking know i think that's what because i was looking at the wiki article about it um to see what what it said um anybody have any thoughts is there anything in particular anybody wants to go over? I probably want help uh, understanding the use of symbols. Uh, oh, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Any logicians here? Oh, yes. We need we need logicians here. Um, like in, like, three, he starts talking about... I mean... Function of the function of f of x. I mean, I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. I mean, uh, which section is that? In three point three three three, he starts getting into some actual like stuff. <laughs> um, so I don't know if anybody knows what that's about. Anybody? Yeah, and that would probably ha- that would probably help us with four too. Yeah, because four like gets really into these like logic stuff. Right. Yeah, and understanding and I think this five and be, six. Yeah. I think it's just like logic on the. Yes, it is. From here on out. This is like the uh, the first few sections are the premise, and then he uh, builds logical arguments based on what he says. Um. Okay. So maybe. Uh. Um, let's just go through like the main points of the beginning before we start getting to that logic stuff let's just try to be systematic about it because like I don't even fuck I don't even I don't even know Um, I was just also thinking like about how it looks when you go through you, you don't go through every single oh Aw, oh, hey, he's here, he's coming. Um, okay. But, like, what happens when you read through it without reading, like, in the 1.111 or whatever, just, like, one, two, like, the main, or, like, even the main propositions, I mean, and seeing what the main points are. Like, I, if you look on the the Wikipedia, it, it has this, um, I don't know if, 
my computer can handle sharing screen. Sometimes I don't think my computer can handle it. Let's see what happens. Is it working? Can you see my screen? Nope. I bet not. Uh, I think it's loading. It's loading. Yeah, I've had issues with this. Like, I haven't, I, I've tried to stream on Discord and my computer just doesn't want to do it. I don't know why. Is this something you need a video for? Can you take a screenshot? I can probably take a screenshot. I just, I'm just trying to see if I can get it to work. It's annoying because, like, like, I don't know why Discord can't, like, I can't do it on Discord, but, like, other stuff, like Zoom, like, I can just hear whatever I do. Um, yeah, I, I, I never was able to see it. Um, I, I mean, it, here. Uh, oh, I'll go into voice text. Um, it's just a screenshot of just, it's just all this, the main uh, propositions, um, laid out next. Oh, there's also, um, resources like this one, and that's just all of the tractatus where everything's, like, collapsible, and then oh, you can, like, that and then have, like, all of the points and all of the sub points. That would be great. Shit. Nice. Okay, so that's on voice text. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Oh my gosh, that is perfect. That is exactly what I mean. Everybody go there. If you can. Um I'm just using the book because I'm on my phone none. Well I know, but the problem is you can't like just you Whoa. can't like it's nice to be able to look at it without all the clutter, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty cool. Because this this is the argument. This is this is what Tractatus is. This is like the core of it. Okay. Um so the world is everything that is the case. Uh what is the case, the fact is the existence of atomic facts. All right, what? <laughs> Already, I'm like, okay. Which one? Which one are you? I'm reading like so propositions one, two, three, four, five. Like I'm just reading like the main propositions. Um, oh, I wasn't even looking at. Oh, this is. Oh, you. I'm deleting this because this has the bad translation. I'm deleting this picture. Mm. This is ugly. Bad. 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 Just go to the that website that Ozzy linked. Yeah. That's the same proposition to what is the case, the fact is the existence of atomic facts. That's yeah. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> well, you expand one and it says that the world divides into facts. So the world is everything that is the case, and then the world divides into facts, and those divide further into atomic facts, which I think, let's see, Adam is things that just can't be divided. Yeah. So imagine, instead, imagine this web page. Yeah, well, those are supposed world, to be like right? the most fundamental um, yeah. yes. elements of a... It is the fact that facts are divisible into atomic facts. That's basically what the main yes. line is saying. So, like, imagine that this website is a collection of every single fact in the world. I don't care what it says. I'm just imagining this for a second. So, as you click on them and go deeper into the category, 
when you can no longer go deeper into it, those statements are an atomic fact. Right. It's just, it says, what is the case? The fact is the existence of atomic facts. Like, what does that, what does that mean? Like, I get what atomic facts are, it's, but what is the I think case? Like, all it's basically saying, as at least how I'm interpreting it, is that anything, atomic facts are the fundamental components you need to build all other facts from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then it's just from... stating that that is true and those facts exist. If you read it in from uh, 1.2, 1.2 says the world divides new facts. It's saying that uh, you can divide further and further, but at some point there is the case, the fact that the, the ex- atomic fact exists because you can no longer divide it. Okay. Is is your is is the thing you're getting tripped on is like what is the case? That I think so. I think so. Um. Well, like, like so, what is the case? The fact. Like, how is that? I guess let me look at the other translation. What it says, because like I just so, it just seems like a weird way to phrase it. Like, okay, because yeah, the, the way the other translation says, "What is the case? A fact." Is the existence of, and he, they say states of affairs, but so like, so, so, so basically, what is the case or what is a fact is, is another way to say, is that atomic facts exist? Or is it saying uh, like, is like that? Totally. Could take the world, you divide the world into facts, then you divide facts into atomic facts, and then you just say that it is the case that atomic facts exist. Yeah. Yeah. What, how, how I'm picturing it is that in Proposition 1, Wittgenstein is drawing a box, right? And he's saying, this is the world, the world is what is. Uh-huh. And that's kind of saying, like, okay, there's these ideas of what could exist hypothetically, like heaven, hell, God, but those aren't tangible. So the world is what exists. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it's being parsed out in my head. You know, okay. if I'm getting something wrong, obviously call me out. Yeah. And then when he says the world is the totality of the facts, he's saying this because the facts describe the things, I think. Um, so he says the facts in logical space are the world. <laughs> Anybody want to help That's, with what, what logical space is? Anybody? Um, is that like, like the scaffolding? Like, like earlier someone, Ozzy, I think it was, who broke it down, right? Who was saying how like, there's like world language and thought and like, uh, they're different. Uh, parts of. There are different parts of. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think how to describe it. Is I that don't. Difference? Yeah. Hmm? Sorry. What were you saying? Um. I'm not sure exactly what it could quantify. He, my professor, just said the, there are these three spheres that we exist in. We exist in thought and in language and in the world, and all of these things. 
even though they're fundamentally different, they can be broken down in exactly the same way. And the job of the Tractatus is basically providing that scaffolding in such a way that all of these line up and that everything kind of sort of makes sense. So, so, so is the scaffolding kind of like the logical space or like the logical, like... I think the scaffolding would be like the connection between logical space and like physical space. Okay. So I'm just going to... So like if I say my Rubik's Cube is to the left of my pill bottle, uh-huh. that there's this there's the gap that actually exists i'm seeing that i'm interpreting that sense that and that's physical space Mm -hmm. but then also i am making a logical argument that a rubik's cube is to the left of a pill bottle and that's logical space i think so what is go ahead i mean um, that's yeah sorry I, I just see the space as um, the kind of turning the system of like going from atomic facts into other facts as the, a logical framework and everything that you can derive from that exists within this logical space. At least that's, oh, yeah, that doesn't yeah, yeah. explain what the space is, but it ex- kind of explains how it's used. At least that's how I'm thinking about it. Uh, 2.0131 maybe has relevance. A speck in a visual field need not be red, but must have a color. It has, so to speak, a color space around it. A tone must have a pitch, the object of a sense of touch, a hardness, etc., so like so like the possibilities almost no that's not quite right i mean is it almost like uh what he's saying is that the uh logical scaffolding props up our understanding of things the things don't exist but all the facts and logic about them oh god oh I said facts and logic and ironic. <laughs> but uh, these underpinning facts about these objects describe our understanding of the objects, but the objects don't exist in their pure sense, maybe? Something like that? I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you. Uh, I was just looking at the wiki page, um, which is summarizing some stuff. Um, and it says like about proposition one that like this proposition along with the beginning of proposition two can be taken to be the relevant parts of Wittgenstein's metaphysical view that he will use to support his picture theory of language. So this is, he's making metaphysical statements here. Um, I don't know if that helps me at all, honestly. Because um, then, then the next 
thing it says, like about propositions two and three, it says like, these sections concern Wittgenstein's view that the sensible changing world we perceive does not consist of substance, but of facts. Um, well, that's like a way clearer way of what I was trying to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then it says, Proposition 2 begins with the discussion of objects, form, and substance. So then it says, like, uh, the proposition actually says, what is the case, the fact, uh, is the existence of atomic facts. And an atomic fact is a combination of objects, entities, and things. And so this epistemic notion is further clarified by a discussion of objects or things as metaphysical substances. And then it goes to 2.0141. Um, which says the possibility of its occurrence in atomic facts is the form of the object. Uh, the object is simple. And then uh, 021, objects form the substance of the world, therefore they cannot be compound. Um, so his use of the word, I'm just reading from the Wikipedia article right now because like I cannot fucking understand this. So I am hoping that this will elucidate. Which, which thing are you specifically confused about? I just trying to understand. I want to like, I, I read it and it's like, it kind of makes sense, but I don't like if someone just said, asked, sat me down and was like, okay, so what did you read? Like, what was it about? Like, I don't even know where I would start. Like I haven't internalized what I've read. Um, so I'm trying to like kind of break it down or like restate it in a way where I can actually remember what's going on and like have a kind of a concept map for what he's trying to say. I mean, like, uh, I see what you're saying. Like, I, it's, uh, I need like, yeah, like a concept map of what's going on. Cause like, otherwise it's just a sequence of statements. Like, like, that's why I really liked when um, Ozzy was talking about the sphere thing. Like, oh, like I can, like, draw, like, a concept map of, like, what those things are and how they relate to each other. But, like, I think I, we need to, like, or at least for me, like, I need to build, like, like, I just remember when we were doing, like, learning, um, uh, and I took a modern philosophy class. Modern as in the time period, like, 1500s, 1600s, not as in contemporary philosophy. And so, like, what we would do is, like, we talk about, like, we, we, like, break down, okay, for example, Descartes believed there were two substances. There is mind and uh, body or, like, mental substance and, like, physical substance. And, like, I mean, we just break it down and, like, the metaphysics, you know, into, like, the clear, like, outline of what he was saying things were. And so that's what I kind of want to try and do with this. Because uh. I don't. I think I need to do that. I think I need to work through it that way in order to understand. Um, that makes sense. And and that's what I guess I'm trying to do now, but doing it horribly because I don't really get um, what's going on. And um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. If anybody can help yeah, me. That, that does make sense. Um, so... I don't know if anybody has any good resources oh, on the Tractatus. Um, I guess we lost Ozzy for now. Yeah, because his mic is all messed up. Um, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Wait, what is ZF? I, 
Does that remember Frankl? It's like the modern set theory we usually use in math, and within it, the Russell's paradox doesn't exist. What I was saying is that it's not clear to me how what Wittgenstein is doing is dissolving Russell's paradox. So I'm in agreement with Malcolm that, like, I, I don't exactly get what he's doing with the functions either. Oh, Milcom's thing up here. Oh, that's what you're talking about. I can't read that right now. It's not entering my brain um, at all. It's just sitting there on my eyeballs. Um... I get it. That, <laughs> I, that's happened. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> like, I think also. I think also just because like uh, we're on the, we're on the discussion. Like I'm on the voice call right now, so it's like I can't just like sit and just like it's hard for me to focus. Um, guys, you should talk about this in voice. The set theory bullshit. Bullshit. Oh, but like the entire problem Whoa. is. We're trying to figure out what Gerson is doing. Yeah, we're trying to. We're just considering what three point three 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 even means because I don't yeah. think any of us have a strong grasp on it. <laughs> yeah, it. And I don't know if that's my fault or if it's Wittgenstein's fault. Um, I'm leaning towards it's my fault for not understanding, <laughs> but I don't really know. Be. I mean, this whole this this whole the Tractatus is like notoriously hard to follow. Yes, like, like there are like smart philosopher philosophy professors who will have weekly, hour long, hours long conversations about a single page of this thing. So it's what? so it's so weird in contrast with. Um, investigation. Uh, yeah, it really how is. How clear, yeah. how clear and well defined every concept is, and versus I this thing. Like, yeah, part well, of the reason is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say. I think it's actually the opposite. Like, I think this is trying to be super clear and well defined and technical and precise. Like, that's what he's trying to do. And, mm -hmm. it, and it just becomes completely, complete gibberish when he tries to do that. Whereas the, the investigations is much more conversational. I mean, he's just sort of ta talking how he'd normally talk in conversation, I feel. And that's why it's so much easier to understand his point. Whereas here, it's like, he's, he's trying to be so precise that it's just impossible to get the big picture. But that's the thing. If you you're gonna be this precise, then you have to explain a lot more. It, there's maybe maybe it's just that I'm not familiar with some of the terms, but there's a lot that you, at least for me, that you need to to kind of guess about. Yeah. You know. Um, it's kind of paradoxical, like that. I'm trying to think. Um... Because I hate to do this because I feel like this is what I always resort to when I don't know what the fuck to do, but to go through things step by step and like 
try to see what the fuck is going on. Maybe this text in particular is better, more conducive to that form of like working through it because it literally is a stepwise literally numbers. Um, yeah. If we want to just go through it and like try to make sure we all understand what's being said and like what why he is saying it or like why he feels the need to specify certain things. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, I can throw out a nugget that I remember from philosophy class. Yes, please. Um, I, I don't, I can't quite remember exactly the arguments that like led him to this, but one statement that I took away from it is Descartes made us lose the world and Wittgenstein was the one who brought the world back. Why? Why? I think it's... You know, so because Descartes, that his whole thing was like the whole, I think, therefore, I am. Yeah. And we have to... And the only thing that we can doubt is the, like, capacity to doubt. And, that, and in that way, like, we can no longer trust our eyes anymore, all right? I'm sorry, can you repeat what you said we can't doubt? Because I think, like, I didn't hear it properly. The um, mic cut off something. Oh, sorry. Um, the only thing that we can't doubt is the capacity to doubt. Like, we can, like... Okay. Yeah. You know, like, the whole, the whole like, sixth grade philosophy, your red's not the same as my red, you know? <laughs> it's like, so there's this, like, inherent skepticism between, like, what's in the mind and what's in the world, and what Wittgenstein is trying to do is by establishing the scaffolding I keep talking about, he's trying to connect those two in a way that hasn't been connected since, like, God was, like, a legit argument. Mm -hmm. That, I, I, yeah. So it's like against, so it's kind of against skepticism. Like, yeah. Like, he's saying that there is a reality and our, um... He is a reality. There is a reality. The reality is sketched out by language. And if we stay within certain parameters, we can always perfectly represent reality via language. Okay, so that's it. So that's yeah. the thing. That was one of the things. Okay, that's a big, important part. We can accurately, perfectly represent reality with language. Is yes. that is that really a, that's a claim he's making? Yes, that's what yes. one of the points of TLP, isn't it? I, I thought so, but I, I, I just um, want to be make sure. And then, which I don't, and then this is I don't really agree with. Um, no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You came oh. in after. I mean, just, just as back. sorry. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I think obviously we need to get to the disagreement because I, yeah, I think there are issues with that. But in order to like give us a teaser, he is then going to further argue that philosophy is just muddying a muddying of the language waters. And philosophy is only based on, like, misunderstanding language and misunderstanding definitions. And if everyone was truly on the same page, there would be no philosophy. And now that we have the Tractatus, philosophy is over. He's solved it. We don't need to do anything. That's, that's, 
It's supposed yes. to be like the capstone of philosophy. It's funny because I feel like the investigation serves a similar purpose, but like coming from a completely different angle. Um, yeah. like, Wittgenstein did the Tractatus, was retired because he yeah. solved philosophy. Yeah. Then he realized that he was completely wrong and then was about to yeah. solve philosophy again, but then he died. Wait, so That's you think- a thing in, in ordinary language philosophy, right? Hmm? That a lot of philosophical disagreements are um, caused by inconsistencies in the language people are using and that people are talking in a lot of disagreements are talking about fundamentally different concepts, but because of the limitations of language, it's hard to, mm-hmm. um, to recognize that. Yes. <laughs> yep. Cool. Um, <laughs> too much. Yeah, I mean, I just love how he shits on philosophy in here. It's great. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I can't disagree. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I can disagree that, that there is, that if people were on the same page linguistically, that there would be no more need for philosophy and there would be no more questions to answer. That I don't agree with. But as far as, well, here's... The... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, as far as that those disagreements tend to happen among existing philosophy, and that if we iron those out, it would be a lot more efficient. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, because I think also the issue is, like, I think it's true that a lot of phys- philosophical philosophical questions about how things are, what is the case, are just problems of language. But philosophical questions of what should we do, how should things be, there's no fucking way we're going to... That's not a language problem. That's just a problem that needs to be solved. And then Wittgenstein would just argue... Then, like, yeah, that's not philosophy. Well, it's just like, that's stupid. Not something that's which is <laughs> stupid. I mean, that's just him playing language games. I'm I sorry. Mean, no truth. I mean, legit. You know. You know. Do Do we want to skip ahead a bit? Sure. He's legit. He's. Uh, let's see. What? Whereof uh, one cannot speak, one must be silent. <laughs> the most. No, the <laughs> one right before that one. My propositions are elucidatory in this way. He who understands me finally recognizes them as senseless. When he has climbed out through them, on them, over them. So in order to accept the Tractatus, you must throw away the Tractatus. Oh my god! (laughs) The book book reads itself out of existence. And of course, it's a book that wants to render philosophy pointless, and it in itself is philosophy. So, so it actually is perfectly like self-consistent for it to be self-destructive. Yeah. Guys, do y'all want to watch the Wittgenstein movie? I think we're yeah, going yes. to. There's a movie. It also, yes. this, is, this is something I talked about with Freedom Baby, like individually, but I think. Go- <laughs> 
the this idea that this is supposed to be like the end all be all of philosophy is really funny when you consider yeah. that probably the only reason it's written in Latin that the title is <laughs> when literally nothing else is is to make it seem more intellectual and <laughs> what is it what does Tractatus Logical Philosophicus actually mean? Treaties of Logic and Philosophy. <laughs> wow. So it's so like Wittgenstein is just trying to turn all of philosophy into a logic problem, and then he's just going to logic his way out of philosophy. Analytic cringe. <sighs> it's 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 quite something to behold. Yeah. Oh my god. I've read somewhere that Wittgenstein was like the first one to do like true or false tables or something. Like in- he was? I don't know. I was reading Seriously? that. Seriously? Yeah. Like nobody before him. Yeah, that's what I read. Like I could have been bullshit, but like that's what it said. Um I think it's like What the hell he did? Isn't that fucking insane? What the hell? What? What? <laughs> that makes him so much more awesome, don't you think? Whoa. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Because, like, when I read that, I like, almost didn't believe it. I just thought it was just, like... Because, like, I took, like, a symbolic logic course, you know, and we did all those tables and shit. Like, Wittgenstein, like, he invented that. That's crazy. Dude, we did that in, like, sixth grade, like, geometry and proofs and shit, dude. What the? It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Like, um... yeah. I mean, that's one thing my professor said is that Wittgenstein, he's like not fully on board with him a lot of the time, but he's like one of the smartest philosophers, mm-hmm. especially in compared to like Bertrand Russell and like Hegel. <laughs> I I I don't know much about Hegel, but I've heard that he's like a horde writer. Like he just cannot explain a point clearly at all. Yes. Oh my this fucking is a God. Thing, man. Yes. Those <sighs> hermeneutics. I I actually didn't read Phenomenology of Spirit, but I read some of Hegel's political philosophy. I forget what it was called, but it was like basically Hegel's because it was a political philosophy class and what we read was Hegel's like ideal system for like a government it was just like it was just nonsense I mean she the professor explained it very well um wasn't there like a whole group called the Hegelians that like tried to live that out I don't know but I I do believe it um, Wait, what was his uh, political theory? I'm not familiar with it. Didn't he want a constitutional monarchy? Yeah, and, like some sort of defense of like what was kind of already there in Britain at the time. Yeah, let me see because there's this fucking. I can see. I wonder if I can find it. There's like this concept map, and it just looks like a fucking clusterfuck of just how he organizes. I, I guess, I don't know if I could find it because it might have been created by my professor and not just like a thing that someone else made. I wonder if I can see something um, 
Oh, what's this? Sorry, I just got extension letter from work. Sorry, I just. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my contract for work. <laughs> I was wondering about that. Okay, good. Cool. I still have a job for another year. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Huzzah. Because uh, I wasn't yeah. sure, anyways, um, about that. I mean, I was sure, but, like, I just... Uh, it doesn't matter. Let me see if I can find this chart. Uh, now, see, all of these images are about the oh. dialectic. He was against individual rights. Yeah. Uh, Wasn't his whole thing like the force of history and how like history learns about itself? Well, the dialectic, like, yeah. But there's yeah. um, he had like a very specific setup for the government. Like it wasn't just like oh, this is the progression. It was like okay, and also this is actually oh wait, is this? I found a, a secondary source that's basically saying he believes in the fact that the state is the highest form of social existence and the end product yes. of the development of mankind. Yep. And that each man is subordinate to the ethical whole. If the state claims one's own life, then the individual must surrender it. Yeah. And he's also extremely sexist, of course. Like, only men should be involved and the blah, blah, blah. Oh, blah, blah. yeah. A lot of modernists. Uh, <laughs> um, let me see here, though. Uh, so, just as like a clarifying thing. So, he kind of views the state as this, like, as like its own body. So, like, the same way, like, with our body, we can just, like, kill. And cancer cells and whatnot because it's not good for the body. We can just kind of get rid of people if it's not good for the state. That's the dream. Yep. Huh. It's not just the dream. It's the ethical imperative of the state being the ultimate whatever. And here's a very relevant uh, obligatory uh, existential comics. Uh, but it's relevant because it's about Hegel. Um, it's pretty good. <laughs> There's so many philosophers that just claim that they finished philosophy. But Wittgenstein actually did. Did he though? Nah, I don't think so. Well, I think he finished, like, the philosophy that's, like, trying to decide, like, how things are. Yet again, I don't think he solved how things should be, because you can't solve that. But, like, I think philosophy is a problem of language. And, like, in the sense, like, when he says he solved philosophy, it's not like he solved all the problems, but he solved, like, what the problems are. The problems are language problems. They're not... Like, we can't come... Like, all it is is clarifying our thoughts. Like, I think that's... Is ethics a part of this philosophy? Ethics is what we mm, should do. So. Ethics is what we should do, and so, like, that's that's not solved. That's why I said he solved, like, all the philosophical questions of how things are, what is the case. He didn't solve anything normative, though. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Did anybody read the Hegel comic? I'm reading it now. <laughs> he kind of, he, he proved everything, yep. Yeah. <laughs> The Hegel comic is good. The bit women are free to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I just love like pointing out like like how he says like the 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 oh history is the is the synthesis of the two different whatever is progressing towards an end and it's like oh but we've already we've already reached the dialectic we've already completed it we have the ideal system now like 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 that's that's just great um I mean. One of the things my professor told me is that, like, analytics, analytic philosophers were like, fuck Hegel. And then continental philosophers were like, fuck Hegel in a different way. Sounds kinky. <laughs> so neither side is pro-Hegel. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody laughed at my joke. <laughs> I thought I it was funny. Joke. Um, huh? Anyways. What was your joke? No, because he said analytical philosophers were like, fuck Hegel, but continental philosophers were like, fuck Hegel, but in a different way. And then I said, sounds kinky. It was a great joke. Oh. It was super high IQ. Super smart. Okay, let's... And the joke, the Christian joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's see, guys. Uh, I'm just curious... What are y'all's political philosophies? Your political leanings? I'm just curious. You want to put it in chats? Mm. Uh, That's a random question. Uh, well, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, like, okay, so honestly, I, I'm not sure what to do about discussing the Wittgenstein thing, but I just was curious about you. <laughs> so let's just go. go. Well, we can we can cycle back to it. we can cycle back to it. But I was just curious because I'm just because I, I just wanted to know. I just wanted to know. Um, no, do we do it order? I mean, yes, go bottom yeah. to top. Uh, okay, um, this is hard to say. I think I'm definitely a socialist. <laughs> um, I think, even though it's never gonna happen in a successful way ever in reality, huh? communism could work. Wait, what? You just contradicted yourself. Even though it could never actually work, I think it could possibly work. I didn't say it couldn't work. I said I don't predict it will happen. Well, what's the difference? Mm. One is theoretical, one is predictive. What's the point? (laughs) What's the point? You asked what I think. That's the point. Okay, okay. okay. Explain what I think. No, I know. I just like if you think <laughs> it, if you if you don't think it will happen, then why believe it? As why a, as why a, believe it? Yeah. Um, What's the point if you don't think it's realistic? It, I didn't say. Oh, okay. I don't. If society. Society. Could, guys. Guys, did you know? <laughs> Bottom ten. Did you know we Bottom live in a society? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly. Society. Yeah, if if um if you could, if it was possible to change, if it was possible to enact the steps necessary for communism, I would say. We should go ahead. The problem is there's too many social forces stopping it. 
and I don't think it's realistic that those will go away anytime soon. And if I'm looking far enough into the future, I just stop being able to predict anything. So, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. do you think your average feudalist would be able to uh, uh, thrive in a capitalist society? Oh, absolutely not. Then how did but... that transition happen? It's a slow shift of material conditions <laughs> that causes people to behave differently. That's, I yeah, but I can't. I can't predict that far into the future, though. Oh, fair enough. Because of my, my stupid lizard brain. Um, <laughs> can't think past, like, over anything greater than, like, a 100 to 200-year period. I can't so, get beyond um, a week. <laughs> yeah. And if you look into Handel's ideas on a, each generation trying to become more free, it seems obvious that... Uh, the most free system will be the end. Whatever the most free system is, yeah, of but course. So much can change. And I, I do agree with that idea generally, though. Do you think we are think more free now should be... than we were... Sorry? Are we more free now than we were a couple hundred years ago? Absolutely. Was, yeah. No, but how so? How so? Way more... No. Practical. Um, I'm talking in our day-to-day lives. How so? Okay. Um, I think technological progress much more almost choice. entirely has led to the... There's a lot of people talking there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do we define freedom? That's more a good question. Choices. See, because... Agency. How they live their life. I feel it like... That weren't available before. Uh, sure, but, um... If you look at the way the government influences our lives, and I mean, maybe um, there are more, like someone said, more options available to us. Like, for instance, it's easier to travel to new places, um, but there is more intervention. Uh, the way um, I would put it is that if you define freedom as a multitude of choices, I would say we have more choices than a couple hundred years ago. If you define freedom as in the extent to, or rather the inverse proportion to the extent to which government uh, is uh, like uh, deciding upon our lives, we're actually less free now yes. than we were like in medieval times, exactly. for example. Because, for example, in medieval times, there stuff. was such a thing, de facto, as the right to resistance when you could like fight back against a monarch telling you what to do if you were strong enough to do so. Yeah, but no one was strong enough. And there was a lot of, like, splitting off of territories, like, post-Civil Wars. Was that the or, like, actual people? And they weren't individual people, but they were, like, groups of, like, insurrectionists. Insurrection was way more common because it was way more achievable back then. I guess you could define that as freedom if you want. And, yeah, there's, like... We're all kind of wage slaves now, so we're less free in that sense than people who... We're all wage slaves? Always have been. Huh? I mean, we've always had to work to survive, I mean, in some form. Like, whether it be directly obtaining the necessities for survival or you know, working for the money that can purchase those necessities for survival. But if you yeah. automate everything under communism, then maybe not. TM. My, my understanding maybe of wage slavery, though, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
my understanding of wage slavery is that like specific relationship where somebody's controlling I don't know, production or whatever it is you're doing and they set your timetable and what it is you're making and how you make it and et cetera, et cetera. And you have no agency other than uh, selling your labor. Mm-hmm. No agency other than choosing what job to get. <coughs> or choosing to get a business. That... Or, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you have choices. People have choices. They do. Um, Not necessarily. No. I mean, like if you're if you're working like sixty hours a week because you have two kids and you're just trying to put food on the table, like that's depriving you of energy that could be spent trying to navigate into a better position. So, like people like do genuinely get stuck. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, life isn't fair. Like, people get stuck in shitty situations. That's just how it is. There's never going to be a way where everybody has a perfect life. Like, that's just not... That's just not going to happen. Who's voting for Trump? Oops. Uh, <laughs> well, who's uh, American, first of all? Me. I am I am American. I am as well. I've Honestly, I voted for Trump in 2016. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. Can you, can you put that as your custom status? No. God <laughs> damn. Um, and but I, I don't know if I can. Uh, I don't know if I can justify voting for him again. I I I I don't. I'd rather have Trump than Biden, but I also. Uh, I, the you, way I'm, was, I'm, I'm where you're at, but in reverse, where Biden, I think, all in all, is better. Than I still fucking shit. hate Biden. Yeah. I fucking yeah, hate I can't Biden. stand. I hate I hate Democrats. Honestly, I hate the only thing I hate more than Republicans are Democrats. So, like, you know, like, every, I mean, at this point, everybody hates. Everybody hates both. I know, it's just, they're so I mean, they're, they're both the same from a non-horseshoe theory perspective. But the only Which thing... Which you hate a little bit less? I, I, hate, I hate Trump a little bit less because I feel like, at the very least, his base, his, like, supporter base, are, like, the pro-gun people. <laughs> and so, like... <laughs> that's, like, literally it. Like, I'm not even kidding. Second Amendment, that's the whole reason... <laughs> I lean to Trump because I trust him to more than Biden. I mean, guns are great. Liberals are stupid, but I am in no way a conservative. Yes. I'm not saying anything. is fucking stupid. Like the whole whole, anti-gun thing is like a center center left thing. But that's what literally everyone else. Everyone else besides the Democrats are fairly pro-gun. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is so many people like, like all the people I like the coworkers and stuff. Like, oh, guns are so bad. Like, then why do we need guns? It doesn't make any sense. You can't have a revolution with guns. Like, it's just so annoying. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you liberals get the bullet too, dude. My 
oh my god, my boss will just like for a while, like when we were having our virtual lab meetings, like at the beginning of everyone, she'd play a video of some like I don't know YouTube comedian making fun of Trump, <laughs> like every fucking. Oh, that's <laughs> it's so oh, awful. Why? <laughs> <laughs> to to put us to cheer us all oh, up. Bro. To just to because just because she thought were, it were they funny at least? No. <laughs> but granted, okay. like I was, I am biased because you know, like I obviously sympathize with Trump more, especially at that moment in time. You I was love not. Daddy I I really fucking hate how he responded to the the protests and the language he used. Like that really yes. gave me a bad taste in my mouth. Like after that, that's like really was like when he started to cross the line for me. Like that was it when he started saying shit like basically like oh yeah violence oppression the cops good protesters bad blah. like that they shit need to be quashed immediately yeah like that, that shit sort of thing. that kind of thing that was. I was really, I'm very unhappy when I heard that because that was like, mm-hmm. that was really bad. So blaming, this is a small thing, but, and I'm not saying this is just Trump because the side that was also blaming the white nationalists for everything is equally as stupid. Mm-hmm. But why the fuck was he blaming Antifa for oh my like, God. the entirety of I the know, world? dude. Dude, I mean, my dad. It's everybody. Everybody. Wait, when yes, when do I cash in my sorrow sparks, dude? I'm still <laughs> waiting for the check. Yo, <laughs> Yo my. Um... I mean, I. Um, when, when it comes to like the whole Antifa thing, you have to recognize is that Antifa is a very very broad category. So it's not, it's really... not a single organization. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god, my dad. So, my dad is like. Always like, oh yeah, Antifa, like they're so bad, like they're blah blah blah. And I'm just like, Dad, like you don't. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, by, I, I'm, I'm sure that everyone here can see the benefits of a government demonizing an organization that isn't even an organization. It's I essentially a position. Oh. I, that was a rhetorical question. Yeah, I I know why he did it. I just <laughs> here it, it's it seems very intellectually dishonest. Just yes. like the media outlets blaming white nationalists yeah. solely it's, was very. It's the two minute hit. Guys, I I the, the, different, the difference is people are expected to trust Trump for some reason. Um, okay, here's what... people like to trust world leaders. I don't know why they do, but they do. I want to. I want to. Uh throw something at you guys. I Maybe I've said it before because it's something that I came up with a long time ago and I'm very proud of it because um, my, this, this, this came up when my dad was bitching about how, uh, you know, the war on terror. He's like, we sh- why did we call it the war on terror? We should call it the war of terror because we should use terror. Like, I mean, because he's a fucking war hawk. Yeah, I know. I know. Whatever. But then he was, he was talking because he was like saying like, what is terrorism? Like, how would you define terrorism? And this was years ago. This was like probably 10 years ago. Baby Eva. Well, not baby. I was like 15. But I said, I think that terror, or I just, I just doxed myself my name, whatever. I'm Eva. That's my name. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, uh, 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 I said, well, you know, I think terrorism is just a term used by governments to delegitimize, uh, opposing forces it's to delegitimize movements um you know because like when a, when a, when you fight when a country fights another war against another country 
they don't call them terrorists because they recognize that there's like a state or a government behind it all that they see as legitimate in some way. But when they call their enemy terrorists, they're saying that their claim to political power is illegitimate or unfounded. So terrorism, it's literally used by the government to delegitimize uh, enemies. What do you guys think about that? The funny thing about all that is that, for example, when you say ISIS, the second S in that actually means... The first S in that actually means state. Yeah. Like, you know. What's the thing? Does anybody disagree with that? Hey, there's some more language games. I think terrorist is like a legitimate... Gal, what are you saying? I think terrorism is a legitimate category to have, but it does definitely get used in that political way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think... um, there, there is enough of like a type of uh, activity that terrorism falls under, like you know, like bombings, you know, where it's like uh, just like a couple individuals, you know, attacking um, indirectly or in some way or something like that, I guess. But but, but like it's, it, terrorism does refer to certain strategies, um, but those strategies aren't that different from guerrilla warfare. Well, those aren't really like strategies of terrorism. They're more like crimes against humanity. The Geneva Convention thing. Mm. Those can be like done by states as well. And it doesn't delegitimize the state. Has, anybody, just the, yeah. has anybody seen uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine? I have. What does this have to do with Wittgenstein? This has nothing to do with Wittgenstein. It has everything to do with terrorists, though. Because um, okay, yeah. who's trying to make us talk about Wittgenstein? Get out of here. We can talk about Wittgenstein. I just don't know where to go. It was kind of going nowhere, and it was just confusing, and it was going to end in us. The conversation is fun, so yeah, I don't really care. Like, if you want to bring it back, we can. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say besides just reading through it step by step, and like that can, just sounds. Here's lame. a question. Yeah. Here's a question. Do you guys think that you can? Um, that language can be a perfect representation of reality. No. Can I, like, be skeptical. not philosophical with this? Yes. Actually? For sure. Honestly, so, honestly, be as, as unphilosophical as possible. It'll probably serve you better. So I am a writer, right? That's, like, what I want to do. I, like, I'm going in for, like, my MFA. I'm, I'm trying to, like, apply to schools for, like, grad schools. So I can like write books and such, right? So, Sweet. and I have, and I like kind of had this just like unconscious thought. And I just, and it was like in my stories too, where I like thought like, oh, stories are just reality that are condensed, right? Or you are trying, like, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like, simplify reality in such a way that it can be easily understood and consumed and then people can walk away with a better understanding of what the fuck's going on right are you and talking then, about writing like fiction or writing non-fiction yes. okay i'm talking about fiction i'm talking because you know like like i think i kind of picture life as this like tangle of stories that are all happening at once mm-hmm and so fiction is like trying to like have a thread and see that thread through in a way that we can't in regular life. That's like my preoccupations. Okay. And then 
my friend's mom died, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's like, um, and this is like childhood friend. I knew these guys since first grade, they're a set of twins mm -hmm. and I became friends with both of them. Their dad died when they're in fourth grade and now the mom died like a month ago. And it was just the thing where it's like, you know, you see all of these like, you know, arts, when you make art about death, there's always some kind of aspect of beauty to it. Mm -hmm. And when you're like actually grieving, it's kind of dumb and numbing and you don't like it. So mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're talking about like language being a perfect picture of reality, there's no way you can write and conjure up like the actual feeling of grief. You can pay tributes mm -hmm. to it, but you can't do it. So like, yeah, I completely disagree. Um, That's you good. know, I mean, I don't think you're wrong exactly, but I would say like stories, like, like maybe it won't give you the same intensity of feeling as if when it happens in your life, but it is like a mirror image of what can happen in your life when a character mm -hmm. you care about or when it, when it, the echoes of reality exist in that story. Um, I mean, I think the yeah. truth of stories, like you said, is, um, they are the truths that happen in our daily lives just told in a different way. Um, I, and I mean, I just, I think it's obviously not going to be the same as when things happen in real life because that's not the, an identical situation, but um, that's just because you can't, like a representation of something is never going to be identical to the thing itself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes the pipe is not the pipe. And also another thing about that is, like, even if you don't have to always, like, ostensibly or, like, intentionally... Uh, write death in like an aggrandized, romanticized, beautified way, still have to make like your writing beautiful in order for it to be read. So at the end of the day, that uh, does take what is away his name? From the James Joyce is entering the chat. Is that his name? <laughs> yeah. yeah, James I Joyce so. has entered the chat. <laughs> Anybody read any, any Joyce? That's not beautiful. Uh, I have portrait really of an artist as a young man on my. On my uh, bookshelf, I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. But, like, I, I will say I sent this exact line of thought to a couple writing professors of mine. And, both of, and like, one of them in particular was like, yeah, you are exactly right. That this cannot be done. However, you need to do it because who else is going to remember this person in this way? It's going to be you. So you kind of have a moral, if you have a yearning to do that, you have a responsibility. Well, to what do you that. have a yearning to do to represent death of the way you experienced it? Like to not necessarily death and like the abstract concept, but like, you know, talk about like how this, how much meaning this person had in my life and how that loss is like really palpable. Yeah. 
Well, I, I definitely like, agree. I mean, I think, um, I mean, something I sort of realize in my own uh, creative endeavors, because, uh, like, I mean, I, I write music, um, and it's like, even, like, nobody else is going to make the music that I would make. It's literally only going to be me. Like, it's only going to be real if I do it. It's not even an issue of if it's good or bad or whatever. It's like, I, I ha and, and the way I view what I, what I write, um, it's like an expression of my life or things that I experience and feel like it is making into some tangible communicable form stuff going on inside of me. Um, and nobody else can make that exact message. So I think that's like definitely, I mean, that's the whole point of art. Like, and that's what you should do in your mm -hmm. writing is to like make real something that literally nobody else can make real because it's your unique experience. And you'll find that other people, it'll resonate with other people because it, there is something common to every, like we all have common elements to experience. Um, so that, that's, that's one thing that's like constantly entrancing to me. Is like the more specific you go, the more relatable yeah, it is. It's, um, well, I mean, because I, I think, um, in a sense, being relatable isn't about having the exact same experience. It's like realizing, or it's like being aware of what it would be like to have that exact same thing happen to you, um, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, the, uh, and that's easier to do when there's more detail. Yeah. Even though it's more specific, it sounds more relatable because of that. Yeah. It creates a clear picture that you can follow with your empathy. Mm -hmm. How, uh, there's a thread here back to Wittgenstein. I just don't quite know what it is. I know what you mean. It's like, this feels connected, but I can't say why it does. Well, it's like the... Under, under his model, you can't really perfectly describe experiences you can describe the nature of reality but not not necessarily the nature of experience oh well that's definitely an investigations thing oh yeah he he changes his mind on lots of this stuff in investigations yeah uh, that is actually treated a lot in uh, investigations, how he figured out that the experience is quite different from this thing about propositions and facts and how it has to be treated differently. It was like an oopsie. <laughs> oopsie. Yeah. Yep. Late Wittgenstein thought early Wittgenstein was just a big oopsie. Yes, and that's why I love Wittgenstein. That's why Wittgenstein is the best, because he changed his mind. <laughs> And was like, damn, like, I was wrong. And he actually, like, admitted it. And, like, oh, my God. Mm. Hell, yeah. Wittgenstein is awesome. Although, apparently, he was not a very nice person. No. <laughs> apparently, he was a school teacher for a bit. He was, and apparently it didn't go very well. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um, let me see if I can look it up. Uh, here. Um, so, um, teaching. Here we go. 
yeah, yeah, here it is. Okay. So in 1920, Wittgenstein was given his first job as a primary school teacher in Trottenbach under his real name in a remote village of a few hundred people. His first letters describe it as beautiful. But in October 1921, he wrote to Russell, I am still at Trottenbach, surrounded as ever by odiousness and baseness. I know that human beings... <laughs> on the average, are not worth much anywhere. But here, they are much more good-for-nothing and irresponsible than elsewhere. He was soon the object of gossip among the villagers who found him eccentric at best. He did not get on well with the other teachers. When he found his lodgings too noisy, he made a bed for himself in the school kitchen. He was an enthusiastic teacher, offering late-night extra tuition to several of the students, something that did not endear him to the parents, though some of them came to adore him. His sister Hermine occasionally watched him teach and said the students literally crawled over each other in their desire to be chosen for answers or demonstrations. To the less able, it seems that he became something of a tyrant. The first two hours of each day were devoted to mathematics, hours that Monk writes some of the pupils were called years later with horror. They reported that he caned the boys and boxed their ears, and also that he pulled the girls' hair. This was not unusual at the time for boys, but for the villagers, he went too far in doing it to the girls, too. Girls were not expected to understand algebra, much less have their ears boxed over it. The violence apart, Monk writes that he quickly became a village legend, Shouting, Krautsalat, which means coleslaw, when the headmaster played the piano, and nonsense when a priest was answering children's questions. <laughs> what? I mean, that to me just sounds like an egalitarian. But the girls just like that. Yeah, no, I know. It's kind of awesome. It's kind of awesome. Wittgenstein thought girls could do algebra too. That's pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> so progressive sure. being children. Damn. Yeah, that's so progressive. Not only beating men, but women too. Yeah, gender <laughs> equality. I know, right? Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm an equal opportunity abuser, guys. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Oh gosh, I love the pictures of him. Yeah. He just looks so like angry. I know. Like, did you see? Like he this, was not. Oh. <laughs> like this man was perpetually was... unhappy. Oh, he was so great. This reminds. Does anybody has anybody seen that? It was a clip. I don't know where it's from, but it, there was a clip of something that I saw in Dragoria of the, this this girl saying, "I respect women's rights. Women's rights to shut the fuck up." <laughs> and I want to find when people are like I support, but only people of the opposite sex. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like that yes. that like uh, thing where Jarek is like, trans rights is human rights, and human rights don't exist, or something. <laughs> like in one of his one yeah. of his videos. Yeah, um, that's the standard thing. Yeah, rights are a spook. <laughs> Guys, we should read the ego and its own. Yes. I am. I am I quite it. done with that. But then Milcom's gonna get mad because we have to read Hague. Wait, dude, we can we can do it in the uh, Floyd Paris group, dude. Oh my god, people actually want to yeah. do that. I mean, I, I can, I think. Milcom was uh, talking about uh, if he wanted to uh, use the Floyd Paris group for Hegel. Oh, sorry. Because like originally it was for a shorter. 
Oh, Milcom was wondering about Floyd Ferris being used for Hegel. I think Floyd Ferris should be used for... Well, what do you guys think? I think Ferris should just be used for when maybe if we do it in the future, do like two sessions a week. And it would be like for the people who do the second session as well as the first. Like a multi-session. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But I guess like, do we want the primary, like this current session to be the longer form works? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the Floyd Ferris would probably be the shorter works. We can do Ego with uh, Floyd once we finish Wittgenstein. I mean, we could do Ego now. Oh, that's true, to be honest. Yeah. Um, no. uh, I don't have a physical copy of the Ego on its own. I'd have to buy it. I mean, I have a PDF, but I like hate. I hate. I need a book. I need the book. I don't like reading uh, PDFs. It's not Are libraries book. too communist? Uh, no, but they're closed. Like the school library, like at my university is, um, it's not open. I guess I could check it out, out a book, I guess, yeah. but it's just like, I also just want to own it. I like, I like, I'm not scared of it. I just like owning my own books. <laughs> like I want to build, I want to build my own, I'm going to have a library, you know, I'm slowly building mm. a library of books and, yeah. uh, actually right now my bookshelf is not able to contain all of my books, which I'm quite happy about. It was quite yeah. nice. Uh, I mean, it's also I, I know annoying. that feeling. It's also annoying. No, feeling good, so. Because I need another bookshelf. <laughs> but it's also nice because it's like, ah, oh, look at me. I'm so uh, intellectual, so scholarly. By the way, <laughs> uh, I got to go in like five minutes. Mm. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. But that was fun. Yeah, we didn't really That's do sweet. anything productive, though. I disagree. I feel that the beginning was extremely productive, direct, and the rest of this conversation is still important. The rest of this conversation has just been us vibing, and I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining. Okay. About and I'm down for that, dude. No, it's nice. It is quite nice. We didn't get past something's hey. political beliefs, though. Oh. Well, yeah, we, we can never did that. that. We can pick up the uh, political beliefs thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. I say one more thing about it? Like... Bruce no. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right, Go for right. it. Go for it. Uh, Marxist Lenin. That's it. Can't do anything. You should elaborate. You said Marxist Leninist. I know. You should elaborate. On what? No, I was talking to Kaya. Oh, well, I just on what that means, why you believe it, your journey to that belief oh journey's fun i'll do that so in middle school i was a very large proponent of owning liberals <laughs> style. Wow. Wow. sjw cringe compilation number 317 was my jam oh wow <laughs> I, I feel like lots of politically active people went through a phase like that, to be completely honest with you. How, how long ago was that? Those were the days. The end uh, of the W craze on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say maybe like somewhere between 10 and 7. Years ago? Oh my gosh. Years ago, years ago. Wait. Gotcha. The SJWs were W was a thing 10 years ago? Because I would have been... Uh, Tail end, I would say. 
Maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. SJW. That was like, I think that became a thing like 2013. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds right. Okay, so it's like seven yeah. years ago. Yeah, so like seven, so like seven years ago. Okay, yeah. Because I don't the, remember. The height of it was like five years ago. Five? So, yeah, that was a while ago. I, I was, I was, uh, before it was cool, I was not a hype beast per se. Uh-huh. But uh anyways, after a while I started to realize this is super cringe and stupid and uh had your average progressive phase that eventually then I realized, wait a minute, this is cringe and stupid. And then for about like probably four or five ML. No dark bag left. <laughs> So oh, ML, that's like Stalinist, isn't it? No. That's no, tankies. Tankies are cringe and stupid. Well, I thought MLs and tankies are the same thing. There's Stalin. overlap? America, explain. Stalin was not a Marxist Leninist. No. Oh, definitely no, no, not. Nobody coined the term. So what does that mean? What does Marxist Leninist mean, even? I gotta head out. See you guys. I'd see ya. Peace. There's lots of... In- what were you saying, man? I was just gonna say that uh, I've got a my brother's my brother's boyfriend is in the uh, communist party in Spain, and he's a big Stalinist and also Marxist Leninist, and so is the whole party. So I was complaining the two, I guess. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be honest. There is a huge overlap between the two, but it's important to make the distinction between uh, Stalinists and Marxist Leninists because I. There's, like, with everyone else, I'm like, yeah, USSR was pretty cool. But with my uh, ML homies, I'm like, yeah, USSR was cringe. Because it's, like, (laughs) Marxist-Leninism basically builds on the foundations of Marxism and applies it to a pre-industrial society to basically kickstart the global revolution. Uh, Trotsky was really more into the permanent revolution thing and the idea of getting the entire world uh, on board before communism is possible, which is pretty based, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> just because I mean, think about it, right? Would capitalism work if it was just one country? Capitalism in one state makes no sense, and neither does socialism in one state, in my opinion at least. So, yeah. the distinction is that uh, most Marxist-Leninists like me uh, tend to believe a uh, the minimum amount of a state should be used until we are able to transition. That way, the process of withering away the state is easier and quicker, and also less liable for multiple war crimes and abuse. What's the distinction between Marx-Leninism and Leninism? I don't know any pure Leninism, just because uh, most because Lenin builds upon Marx, so I don't know anyone who disbelieves Marx but believes Lenin. Okay. So there are pure Marxists that disagree with Lenin. Absolutely, yes. Hmm. So, are you saying Leninism and Marx Leninism the same thing? Uh, yeah, pretty much. At least I've never okay. met a pure Leninist. Gotcha. 
Um, is it just me, or does Ozzy sound exactly like Somniad? Who? I mean, he just kind of, he kind of does sound like Somniad, but I wouldn't say exactly like. Uh, I wouldn't Somniad. say. I thought there was the same person. I I don't. Ozzy, speak up. Have you ever seen Ozzy and Somniad in the same meeting? No, I mean, this is haven't. my first meeting, so no. <laughs> Oh, they do Except speak same, similarly. Like, they speak similarly, yeah, but Ozzy's yeah. louder and more. Uh, his voice is more assertive sounding. I think Somniad's a little yeah, more I, gentle. Yeah, for whatever reason, when I like talk, I kind of like don the appearance of like a pastor. <laughs> of a pastor. <laughs> of a and pastor. just in terms of the accent, you're less breathy than Somniad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but whenever I'm like reading poetry, I kind of have the tendency to like yell it for whatever reason. I know what you mean. You read poetry? Um, I write some poetry, and like when I read stuff out, it's usually poetry. Well, you like, read some to, like, poetry. A I mean, I have Agua Viva right by me. What's that? It's poetic prose by Cleus Vosfak. I kind of met poetry that you wrote. Oh. Do you do you want to hear? Uh, I mean, I can pull up some poetry. Yeah, definitely. I, go for Actually, it. you know what? You know what? I don't want to derail this. I want to get like all of the political stuff out of the way. So why we can circle back to the poetry after everyone's gone. That's fair. Is that? That's Is fair. that good? Yeah, that's the minutes. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, before we were talking about that, what were we were talking about with uh, ML? Uh, I was just trying to understand what it is. Yeah, I don't even really know anything, honestly. My political theory is shit, so. Yeah. I spent political knowledge oh. of, of, like, Marxism especially. Like, I need to know more. Cryo keeps telling me that I'm actually Marxist. <laughs> well, you would, un- you would understand it if you would have just read one. <laughs> <laughs> look, look I, I'm paying it by half ironically. Yeah. I mean that, but unironically, dude. <laughs> the only thing I've read is uh, State and Revolution. Pretty oh, and some stuff. Uh, and uh, what's his name? Kautsky? Uh, dictatorship of the Proletariat. So that was good. I read. Uh. <laughs> I mean, like, I read some stuff, like, uh, in class, like, a, my political philosophy class, a whole bunch of different stuff, like, some Hegel, mm-hmm. a little bit of Marx, but, like, it wasn't, like, I didn't, like, read, I don't know, I don't remember it very well, um, and it wasn't, like, I don't know, it was, it was a very basic rudimentary class, um, but... I mean, Marx requires a understanding of Hegel, and Hegel is... Yeah. Yeah, which is why I'd really like Hegel. to read more of Hegel. it. Um, but, I don't know, Raymond, did you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, not really. Well, what is your praxis? Uh, I'd say lots of uh, union stuff, to be honest with you. Mm. That's, that's the majority of it that I feel is quite beneficial at the moment. Right. It's really... Like, a lot of uh, my peers will say that uh, revisionism is cringe, but I feel that revisionism is necessary to establish a, a understanding of class consciousness. Wait, what do, you, what do you mean by it, revisionism? Yeah, well, I mean, 
I'm basically revisionism versus revolutionaryism. Oh. If that's even a word. Is that... It's like the idea of, do we Molotov the police station? Like reform? Or just reform? kind of ask the police? So yeah, like, basically. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It's the level of violence used. Do you mean historical revisionism or just revisionism as in reformism? Reformism. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought when you said revisionism. Oh, did I, oh yeah, that's my bad. I, was like, I used those terms interchangeably there. That's my fault. Yeah, because it just reminds me of like China fucking destroying all of their <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah. which is very awful it's it's actually awful it's so sad i mean like you go there and like all so many it's just replicas of places that were just totally destroyed during the revolution it's awful like thank god for taiwan because like they saved a bunch oh my god you know granted my grandparents did flee communist china with the original Chinese government. So maybe I'm biased, but um, you can't be trusted. Uh, not really. You know, China, Taiwan is actually the Republic of China. Like that's their actual name. I don't know if you guys yeah. knew that, but China number I mean, one. To be fair, like sometimes Eva does speak positively of China itself. I wouldn't say that she's biased, because she doesn't actually hate China more than we do. No, I don't hate China. I mean, they they do their yeah. thing. It works for them, whatever. I I don't like Did it. You get a lot of Wally jokes. A lot of what? Oh, Wally. Wally. Well, actually, uh, no. I actually use Wally to get people to say my name fucking right because everybody's like Eva, Eva. It's like no Eva, like Wally. That's what I. <laughs> that's actually the strategy I use to get people to remember my name correctly. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's so fucking annoying. Uh, but you know. It's fine. And not, it's nice because it's not a super common name, you know, but it's still a name that people, like, recognize. Although, actually, like, my first name has a chink part to it, so it's not but, – but but the Eva part's understandable. Has a what? A chink part to it because I'm half chink. Oh. <laughs> 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 um, that part's harder, but uh, Eva's – it's, like, unique, but it's still – easy to say which is nice um it's just that, that people always say the wrong one i don't know why yeah i got tripped about it personally because like in romania eva is an extremely common name and then eva isn't yeah the first is extremely common anyways um yeah but china like honestly if you are and this is similar to like Christianity too. If you are like a fairly normal person, like you you are just a typical person existing in China, like you're Chinese, you don't you aren't religious, um, you know you're pretty like healthy mostly. You're straight, you know. You're you're gonna be fine. <laughs> like it's fine. Default character. Huh default character but seriously but like you'll be fine same with like christianity like if you're straight you know and you're probably going to be you know like if you're cishet or whatever christianity is probably going to work out pretty well for you like it's probably going to be all right mm-hmm. um it's just for those atypical people that really struggle in china um but 
Yeah. Uh, Stergl is a really weird way of saying Muslims in concentration camps, but whatever. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's more to it than that, though. I mean, China in general, just they really are sketched out by the people being more loyal to something besides the government. Um, any religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, of course there's, like, Christian Christians there, but... Um, yeah, uh, it's like it, uh, early Americans with Catholics. They're scared they're gonna like start a papal state or something. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 but yeah. The, yeah, and like China is just, if they're just, they're authoritarians. They they don't give a fuck, you know. Uh, they're just gonna do what they want to do, but. I, I think, I, honestly, I don't feel the need to go and make every wrong in the world right. Like, if China does fucked up stuff, that's their business. I, that's fine. You know, I don't want them to do fucked up stuff to me. That's what I'll worry about. But, like, what they do... To me, the real part... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, what they do within their own borders, like, honestly, like, that's not my business. I don't care. No, to me, it just it feels kind of weird. Like it's not contradictory or anything, but it kind of feels weird sometimes when, like, you can judge the authoritarianism of systems that are less authoritarian than China. Then we don't judge China. No, uh, I I judged authoritarian system. Oh, China's shit. But like, ultimately, when I talk most critically about authoritarian systems, you know, specifically the way the U.S is authoritarian. It's because I live in the U.S. Like, I give a shit because it affects me. Um, and I don't want to live in an authoritarian society. Well, I'm going to be honest. All the issues with the U.S. really don't affect many of us. Lots of the issues with the U.S. affect people in other areas. Like, imperialism and such really doesn't affect us. If anything, imperialism is great for us, you know? Yeah, I guess. Um, well, I it's guess like I, the idea. Yeah. Well, go go ahead. It's like the idea of offloading the suffering and issues of capitalism onto other countries, so that the workers in developed nations are still happy and uh, are willing to maintain the system in place. And the ones that are experiencing the whole full brunt of like the brutality of the system are the people who can't do anything exactly because they don't have the resources and no one cares about them because they're in the middle of nowhere uh, with a massive ocean between us and them wait so what are you saying Uh, I'm saying the reason why the neoliberal system is able to exist for so long is built upon the suffering of the third world. If the third world was prosperous, uh, our system could not exist. Well, I mean, a lot of, yeah, a lot of our, the cheap goods that we get are only that way because, (laughs) because we produce them cheaply in other places. Um, Oh, it's offshoring. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. It seems like at the same time, quality of life is improving, even in these countries that are kind of behind us developmentally. Like, which it makes sense if you think about it, because like those like 
tubs of cheap labor that we like ate their free imperialism, people there take those jobs because they are better than local options. Of course, they're like, quality of life would improve through imperialism to an extent. The problem is that us doing that is stunting their growth. Are we stunting? Because, yes, because technology is improving and technology does improve quality of life in the more standard sense of quality of life. You can make a primitivist argument that doesn't disagree with what I'm saying. But uh, the thing, though, is that uh, this technology may be increasing, but uh, these uh, impoverished nations are not increasing along with technology. They are, though. No, they're increasing, but, like, they're increasing much slower than the increase of productivity. Are they? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. There are, like, statistics and indexes for that. Indexes for uh, development, technological development, urbanization, stuff like that. And, and, And the reason for this is... Like, do we know why their development might be slower than it, quote-unquote, should be otherwise? I mean, I, th- I think a pretty reasonable, educated guess is that because they don't have to, like, develop their own, like, industry because they work at all, like, offshore places, and that's basically a secondary effect of imperialism. But then uh, when it comes to imperialism and uh, places like China, China is imperialist as well. And I dislike uh, uh, fellow tankies, I guess, that say China isn't imperialist because it's communist. These are the kind of people that would say... Does uh, anybody actually believe that? Like, can anybody actually seriously say that? Like, that's so fucking stupid. You're such a fucking idiot if you think that China is not communist. China is not communist. I know. I think it's it's like you could say, uh, "Oh, it's just communism with Chinese characteristics." No. Okay, America, America is now communism with American characteristics. I love America now. What? Ugh. China is. Uh... Okay, I have a question. I think is China fascist? Uh, kinda. Uh, you'd have to define fascism. Yeah, I know. Fascism yeah, is... That's, that's why I say behind it and not yes. Yeah, I don't get, like, like... I feel like people throw around that term, but, like, I don't even really know... Like, it's so vague. Like, I, I don't know. It it... Oh, I know. I know what fascism is. Oh, let's hear it. Tell us. Fascists um, it is... I mean, like... Colloquially, like, fascism, as it regards, like, blanket authoritarian states, like, the waters have been muddied in regards to that. But when people talk about fascism, they generally talk about, uh, I tend to think of it as, like, two prongs, one of which is explicitly, like, racist rhetoric that's like, oh, hey, well, maybe not racist. Nationalist is the better word. So, like, yeah. you know, think of the Nazis. We are the, the German people. It's the mentality, which doesn't have to be race-related, but it is an us yeah. versus them. Re- it almost always is, though. Yeah. 
It's we are the best and we need to secure the top position for ourselves. And there was this mythological past that did not exist where we were on top. And that was the most prosperous time in history. Yes. And we will go back to that time in history by this like season of power. So it's both us versus them. And then also this like myth that's perpetuated. Yeah. And those things are, yeah. And those things are like the hallmarks of fascism. So something can be authoritarian without being fascist. My headphones were long enough to read. I would agree with that interpretation, but I have two separate interpretations that I both see as valid. One is from a Leninist perspective that it is (laughs) capitalism and decay. If you, if I, if you guys want to know and get into that, I will, but I'm just going to gloss over it for a second. And my other interpretation, which I feel is a lot more standard, is that. Well, actually, I don't think it's standard, but I think it expresses what lots of people feel, is that it's almost like a toolbox of uh, ways to conserve and uh, uh, maintain a current culture, including uh, changing history, uh, totalitarianism, uh, putting out an enemy out there, stuff like that. You know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The two are separate, and when I say fascism, I refer to usually either one of them, and it really just depends on the uh, uh, language games that I'm playing at the moment. <laughs> yes. Well, the way I think about fascism, and this may be uneducated and stupid or whatever, but um, is it's when it's, it's sort of like using... It's like a replacement for religion and giving purpose to people where the state is a lot like heavy nationalism mm-hmm. and where the, the, mm-hmm. the nation itself is seen as like, you know, the source. Oh, shit. Fucking hell. I didn't get it. I, th- I should have. There's a bug. Uh, the nation itself is seen as a source of meaning in people's lives. Um, yes. That's what I see fascism as. And, 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 now, and then... Sort of it, it, it coupled with authoritarian style um, government, you know, where it's not just you know patriotism. It's where you know literally it's the country first and usually top down style authority. Um, I that it's yeah, that pretty much goes back to like Hegelianism, because yeah. like, it's pretty much in line with what he describes as how like as the nation is like the ultimate uh, result or nation of the ethical imperative of all its people, then of course you'd have to put the nation first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I'd say with the state, the state being like front and center, it's like the state conceived as the manifestation of the people's will or like mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like the collective energy of the Volk or the people. Uh, the Vulcan, yes. Yeah. Fascism is good to uh, start systems, but I do not believe it to be a long-term plan. As lots no, of totalitarian collectivist uh, societies have uh, sacrificed the uh, individual. Yeah. I was watching, like, um, Innuendo Studios... 
and he has like this alt-right playbook thing and he like and crashes into like a death cult almost because like there's always there always has to be a them so like eugenics you know like let's just say that the nazis did genocide the jews you know they got rid of the jews Nazism cannot sustain itself without an enemy, so they would just pick a new enemy, and eventually it would lead to the so-called like master race picking themselves apart. Because the enemy has it's 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 a religious ideology that needs you know, an enemy. I just wonder and the presence of the enemy is more important. Is is an the, an enemy naturally contained in the idea of fascism. I'm sorry if that's a really obnoxious way to phrase that question. But like I mean I would say definitely as uh Let's see, yes. it's almost the tribalist ideology if you want to call it that. Hmm. Okay. That's fair. I don't know why like for some reason I feel like fascism can exist without that racist element. Um, no, it doesn't have to be a racist okay, element, but it doesn't have the, to be an enemy. Yeah, yeah, well, okay, I mean, without the enemy like, element, like, then. I, I don't know why I feel that way. I can't justify it. I just... I mean, like, imagine, like, you know, think about, like, when you're in, like, a class with a bunch of people, and, like, four or five of you decide to get together outside of class, and you're, like, developing a bond real quick. Well, it's one of the first things that you do. You should talk other people in the class. <laughs> Because you're like, you're saying to yourselves, like, let, yes, we are the people that are together and we are not like those other people. It's tribalism. So, yeah. So, larger I'm not, so I'm not sure. I, so like, I'm not sure if it's less fascism needs to exist with a tribalist element, but I think tribalism is just such an important part of being human that it just kind of always manifests itself. That's why I don't think it's a net like we have countries. However, right? I feel that it's necessary, necessarily a human element, however. I just feel that it always has exist because uh, the collective is the strongest unit when you're in a situation that is highly competitive, such as modern life or hunting and gathering. I feel like... Both of those existences are highly competitive with other people, and other forces of nature. When other people and other forces of nature are less of an issue, I believe that tribalism will have less of a need to exist. I mean, how do you define tribalism? Like, uh, do you mean it in the exclusively negative sense? Um, well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, because I mean, I think that, um, I don't know, I don't like that it's used in a negative way because the way we form tight-knit communities and feel like, you know, um, connected to our community, like as that idea, that um, I don't know. It's not necessarily. I mean, I feel like there's a difference between tight knit communities and tribalism. Well, you yeah, have there close could be. friends. Yeah, close friends and uh, having a support system is very different from tribalism in the sense that a uh, tribalism is generally for protection from other people per se. I would feel tribalism is how you use your close group to order your relationship to other groups. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Well, I mean, and maybe it could be more analogous to sports teams, like 
rather than yeah. just like friend groups. Because um, there's a need for like, there, I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't fucking know. I mean, like, I would argue that like, oh, are you a cat person or a dog person? Oh, you're a cat person. Gross. Like, that's that's tribalism. I guess but, I just like, it's innocuous. I just feel like uh, okay, so I, I don't know. I don't like saying tribalism is inherently negative, but I think it's often used in it with a negative connotation. And I was just looking at wiki and i think this put it nicely like saying in popular culture tribalism may also refer to a way of thinking or behaving in which people are loyal to their social group above all else um yeah that's generally what i feel when i say okay. tribalism okay that's fair i mean that has it's like i i don't know i don't have a problem with being loyal to one particular group over others, though. I the guess. only problem of doing that is then it creates natural competition, and that creates violence. I mean, competition doesn't have to be violent. Well, I mean, communication is a type of violence. It's just a very... Well, I mean, I feel that communication and violence are both the transmission of ideas. Uh, violence just has more force behind it, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, violence is... yeah. Um, so when I say, so like obviously I'm not advocating for a society that has no uh, 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 communication. I'm advocating for a society that uses communication without needing force. Well, I'm not saying there should be force. I'm just saying like um, I, I don't. I mean, for instance, like. I, I have much, I care much more about the people in my in proximity to me, like the people I care about, my family, my friends. I give way yes. more of a shit about them than about other people. Like, you, yes, you tell me exactly. every, single, means, every single time, that, yes. you know. You I agree 100%. But what that means is that when you care about someone lesser, because if you care about someone more, that means there has to be someone that you care about less, right? Yes, yes, and that's for true. These people that you care about less, it is way more easy to justify the use of force in such violence. Well, it's easier to, but it doesn't mean I do justify it. Just because it's easier to justify it doesn't mean I, I think it's okay. Like, I don't think it's okay. Um, well, I mean, if something is easy to, well, I mean, to be okay means something that is generally easy to justify. But I'm not saying we should be violent against anybody. I'm just saying, like, I uh, um, I will choose to help people I'm close to more than helping others. Like, I would divert more resources to helping those close to myself. Like, oh, yes, but that, that's – it's okay and uh, good for uh, social groups at a smaller level. But when this is uh, at a higher level, it can easily lead to violence. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want, I don't like, uh, I, well, I think that's a, that's a big problem with large social groups. Like, I, I don't think, like, for instance, tribalism extremely harmful when it's in something as big and dilute as, like, a fucking country. Like, uh... Yeah, that's, I feel like, where <laughs> our ideas of tribalism are different. I see tribalism as a society or a group that already has these strong uh, loyalty and, uh, bonds to each other at an extreme level where I feel like you're saying it in the sense of just having those bonds in the first place. I don't consider having friends to be tribalism. It's maybe a less extreme version of it, but I take tribalism to be the uh, fringe case per se. Mm. 
I guess, yeah, I mean, I'm not just talking about the fringe case alone. I'm talking about, in general, the, like, uh, like on the spectrum. And also, it wouldn't be useful to define tribalism that way, because in that sense, everything is tribalistic, and you can't actually use the word tribalism as a discriminant well, or determinant of how... specific behavior. Uh... Let me think for a second, sorry. And you also never answered my thing about uh, doesn't okay pretty much mean easier to justify? Um, sorry, like, wait, what was the what was the question about? Okay, mean easier to justify what? Like, if something is okay, that means it's easy to justify. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Can you give me an example? Sorry, I I'm I'm gonna be real with you guys. Oh, I just, yeah. I just took a couple hits over my bowl, and I, I know I'm a little bit stoned, <laughs> so I'm just like... All right, okay, okay. <laughs> So I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, I was just, like, kind of being a bit Nick. Yeah, you were. Okay, but, okay, but, okay, but like, when you said you uh, something... Yeah? I want you to... So give me... Yeah, go back. Give me the example so I can return Yeah, so that. when you were saying that uh, I was talking about how uh, tribalism makes violence easier to justify... You said, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's okay. And that's when I disagreed with you there. Because you were saying you can find something easy to justify, but not find it acceptable. Or by acceptable, I mean okay. Uh, I, I'm so sorry. Like, what was the point I was trying to make? Uh, like uh, you were trying to point out that uh, although tribalism makes uh, violence more justifiable, that does not mean oh, it oh, causes oh. violence or something like that. No, or, I, I, it doesn't necessarily yeah, condone, have condone yeah, violence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think it condones violence, um, and I don't think we should um, out. Like, I mean, I think there are benefits to. I guess, um, tribalism in a sense, like... To... Oh, yes. If you're looking at uh, how what you mean by tribalism in the smaller sense, I yeah. believe that social groups are important and allow us to express ourselves to other people and allow us to feel connected. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when you take that to the extreme, or not even to the extreme, just higher, it causes a fanaticism. And it also can uh, cause uh, well, yeah. I mean, I hate all stuff like that. I hate all big organizations. I think big organizations are evil. So I, I, I definitely hate tribalism on the big scale because I just hate big groups, like big groups. Like yeah. all evil is rooted, or like all, uh, like all great evil that has happened in this world. I think, and like what we traditionally define as evil. Like there are instances of individuals doing evil things, but like the most horrifying evil we see on this earth is only possible when it's like large scale organizations, centralized organizations just causing true. massive when harm. Causing yes. massive That's systematic true. harm. Because there's so yep. many normal people doing all of these things and it's just I mean it's just baffling. Um I, I, I like I, I'm super into the whole banality of evil shit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. History yeah. moves with the collective, but that does not mean the collective is a complete necessity in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Um, so, so I definitely hate tribalism in like 
big, big scale, like okay. for sure. But that's mm. just because I hate all. Like I said, I hate all big organizations. I think yeah, that's just the that's just the sense in what I use it because I use it in the sense that uh, it's it's and it, I use tribalism as it's dream tribalism in your words, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. And it's dream tribalism can either mean guys. Uh, tribalism on a larger scale uh, or on a more extreme scale it's almost like where it's oh i just said extreme tribalism is extreme tribalism i mean like a more <laughs> devoted sense or a larger sense basically oh oh what were you gonna say freedom baby oh i i, I was just gonna say it's almost like we've been talking about we've been uh semantics this whole time when debating debating <laughs> 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 tribalism it's almost like language is like you know uh, an issue here. Um, all of philosophy is what language means. <laughs> it always goes back to Wittgenstein. Always. I mean, to be fair, it does make sense, though, that it becomes semantics because, let's say, the world is made out of truths. And then uh, from these truths, using pure logic, there's only one possible conclusion. You know? Like, if you're looking mm. from a purely logical standpoint, and I don't think anyone is looking to make the argument that logic is actually deeply flawed. Although I'm sure someone probably has done that. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying people don't think that logic is deeply flawed? I generally think that people think logic makes sense. And I'm talking about more elementary logic, such as inductive reasoning. Mm. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Me? Uh, he, he... We haven't issued the entire VC, and it's so weird because <laughs> I can't hear shit from Riemann, and then I can hear everyone else perfectly fine, and it's so confusing, and I'm too bad at technology to understand why. Well, yeah. I have a shit microphone, and my volume... It's not your fault, it's definitely mine, because other people can hear you better than I can hear you. Yeah, you come through fine for me, Riemann. Yeah, same here. It's just a, it's just a cryo issue. <laughs> Yeah, but like it's it's. I'm gonna shit talk to be cryo to because I'm gonna call cryo a stupid person because he can't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> not laugh at him. <laughs> oh man. Um. So Ozzy, what are your political beliefs? Oh. Oh shit! We're still doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will. I before I say anything political i will just say <laughs> that my areas of study are primarily literature music and religion <laughs> those are the things i know a lot about i don't I, I i assume at this point i know more than the average person about politics because i've looked into it a lot but i don't consider myself don't anything that i say I Ozzy, my mind on nobody basically. here knows what the fuck they're talking. I mean, like, some people obviously have knowledge, but, like, nobody here yeah, knows what the fuck they're so, talking about. I'm sorry so, if I offended oh, no. anybody. <laughs> oh, shit. <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but, oh, my God. So, I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't think I'll use labels with this because i really especially with everything that's happened this year i really don't know exactly where i end up right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there are two things 
there are two truths that I once rectified is that one I think it is bad when people are exploited and abused <laughs> and two okay when there are states in which people are not exploited and abused there will be people who will try to subjugate them right wait I kind of disagree with the second one, but keep talking. But, like, it's kind of... Basically, what I'm trying to say is that I think anarchy is mm-hmm. pretty cool. <laughs> I think anarchism is pretty cool, but an actual anarchist society would last two weeks, and then something horrible would probably take over. Because if there's no power being consolidated, someone will consolidate it. But consolidating power usually leads to people being exploited and subjugated. So you, and that's and no that's way no. Necessary. Hmm? Does that mean exploitation is necessary? I wouldn't... Like, that's that's my thing, is that my, my current philosophical career is how to have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> that's what I... I don't want to say that exploitation is necessary... But maybe it's inevitable. But I don't want to say that. Well, I mean, inevitable and necessary is to yeah. play this advantage game a bit more. Kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. If yeah, if I say that, then yes, that would be that would make it necessary. But is that? Maybe it's a game of, like, how much, like, the bare minimum amount of exploitation. Well, yeah, what is exploitation? How, how do you define exploitation? As in, like, people... <sighs> this is going to be really vague, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. People not being allowed to do, like, whatever they want. Right. <laughs> what? I that's mean, exploitation. People no, not being I allowed mean, to do whatever they that, want. That is that is caused by exploitation. That's caused by exploitation. But what I feel that exploitation is in the more raw sense is it's some sort of relationship with an asymmetry of power. <laughs> nice. I love the echo cancellation. Well, now okay. I hear myself echoing. <laughs> yeah, that's the only yeah, problem. That's the only problem. Well, fuck. Okay, then <laughs> I'll have to try something else. No, just put in earbuds. Just put in earbuds. I, I do have earbuds. Wait, how can yeah, we... Nice, can... nice. Then turn them down, holy <laughs> shit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> He's damaging his hearing. <laughs> have you guys ever done, like, the speech jammer thing? Where, like, your voices play back to you on, like, a slight delay... And you just can't talk anymore. I no. hate it. I haven't done that. It sounds horrible. <laughs> I don't. don't yeah, there it. are apps. There are apps that like you do that, and you just stammer and stutter like an idiot. <laughs> okay, press random buttons. Do you still hear echo? Hello. Nope. No, it sounds good. Okay, good. Random buttons. Okay. Do I sound like complete another shit? No. Now you sound fluid. Yeah. yeah you sound. Yeah. No, you're completely understandable. Um, the month is okay. Oh, okay. So anyway, 
I was I was being what was I being I was being defining exploitation decimated defining exploitation that was what would what would be a good definition of exploitation I mean I just feel you know that what? it's asymmetry in social relationships but like, social relationships are always going to be asymmetrical in some way so it's a spectrum of exploitation it's not something's yes, exploitation something's art and it's like that's always going to exist. Like, it goes back to dialectics. I mean, I don't know if that's drive to move towards lesser asymmetry, but it's always well, but it's likely always going to exist in some lesser amount, unless the ideas uh, behind this stuff are completely revolutionized. I mean, I wouldn't personally say that asymmetry and oppression are inherently tied to each other. Why not? So, like, let me give you an example. This is not necessarily, like, the thing that happens usually, but let's say that, let's say that you have a small business, right? And you, you own a small business in a state with very strong, like, unions and stuff. And uh, the big businesses have, like, workarounds and loopholes around that, but small businesses don't. And you're in a position where, basically, let's say that your work is worth around, like, X, X a month, let's say. Uh, but because of union support, you as a member of a small business are not getting X a month. You're getting like 1.4 X a month. And the thing is, the small business owner, it is actually more beneficial to him to pay you that than to fire you because of the things he would have to like do legally speaking in order to achieve that. So in that situation, you could say that in terms of like social asymmetry, you are if you're employer, but in terms of oppression, you're not getting oppressed. Quite the contrary. Well, I mean, I feel, I still feel like that situation is certainly asymmetrical with the employer having a uh, benefit. No, because... no, I'm saying it is asymmetrical, but it's it's not oppressive for the same person for which it is lower asymmetry, lower and asymmetric. Yeah. Hmm. Then what do you consider oppression? Uh, oh, I didn't say I disagree with Aussie generally speaking about oppression. I, 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 I just said that it's not necessarily the case that asymmetry and oppression always go in the same direction. They can be swapped. Not usually the case, but it's possible. Oh, wait, I just realized we swapped from talking about exploitation to oppression. Yeah, I, I agree. Oppression definitely does not involve this asymmetry. But I feel like exploitation. Oh, I, I think I missed the part when he talked about exploitation because I was like hung around with my voice settings. Sorry. Yeah, I think I just realized that this uh, uh, conversation completely just flip flopped between the two words that I didn't even realize until now. Just because I have a strong correlation between the two, mm -hmm. but I feel like the main difference is that exploitation always has that asymmetry versus oppression doesn't always. Yeah, well, I mean, correlation doesn't imply identity. So, yeah. Actually, no. I mean, is, I mean, for oppression to take place, don't you need to have a, some sort of power over the other person? Yeah. Isn't that an asymmetry? Yeah. I would, I would say that, like, oppression is, like, violence with that asymmetric element to it. Because otherwise, okay. it would just be violence. That's true. But, I mean, isn't... Isn't, like, all violence... 
Well, I mean, if you look at violence as communication with force, isn't that force piece only available when you have asymmetry? Well, not necessarily. Uh, so, for example, if you have a duel, in a duel, the two combatants can be equal. In fact, it's preferable that they are equal. Then how would anyone win if it is completely equal? Well, sometimes they both die. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's literally why George Washington banned dueling. I'm not kidding. There were lots of duels with both losing. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Dude, Andrew Jackson was so awesome. Andrew Jackson, I think, did some dueling. He was pretty cool. Y'all that's know your the one dueling used to be normal. Huh? That was the one with the, with the swearing parrot, right? Had to remove Parrot from his funeral because it just kept swearing. I don't know. I he's the one who massacred a bunch. He Trail of Tears, I think, was Andrew Jackson. But also, he yes. got rid of the or he tried to get rid of the bank, the federal bank, uh, which um, is pretty based. Parrots are amazing. Parrots are such amazing animals. Uh, yeah. And he was uh, he was just a fucking badass. He was awesome. But he was a whole. I, he was I, I, I think it's I think it's hilarious the idea of like a taking someone who did bad things, but then being like, yo, this guy is awesome because he did wacky, badass thing when he was a kid or something. Wait, it's, like, it's like people who are like, God, I love Elon Musk because he makes funny anime jokes. Oh. <laughs> Elon Musk is awesome. People like that. I think it's hilarious. I Elon Musk is like, ugh. Cringe. Oh, my, yeah. my audio is going back to shit. I'm so sorry. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, parrot funeral president. I don't. Th- I don't see anything about Andrew Jackson. Oh, it was Andrew Jackson's pet parrot? What? Nice. Oh my god. Yep. That's so funny. No, because I did a project on Andrew Jackson in like high school, and like I read like this book about him, and like I didn't even really know. And I remember reading the book, and I was like, "Oh, Andrew Jackson's awesome. I love Andrew Jackson." After reading the book. Like I like I just legitimately after reading this book about it thought he was awesome, and then I I realized he did, <laughs> he did do some fucked up stuff. Okay, I, I'm going to be honest. That is pretty based. <laughs> it's badass. badass. Oh my god. It, I, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So that's why I love Andrew Jackson. Um, I think for real, uh, because of that. But I feel like oppression doesn't necessarily require you getting, um, like, I feel like oppression, the connotation, like when you, when you're, when you use the term oppression, you're emphasizing the fact that, um, people, people's freedom is limited, um, you know, the use of force, whereas exploitation, you're emphasizing the fact that one party is gaining something tangible out of the relationship. Okay. Like oppression doesn't necessarily like, like, I mean, maybe well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense saying that oppression and exploitation, the main difference is that exploitation, you then extract something yeah. that is like counter yeah, material. Yeah. Well, by material, I don't mean just like by material. I mean something that's easily tangible because Emotions are material, but like when I say material in like the offhand way, I don't mean emotions are material. 
You mean like resources? Yeah. Yes, yeah. resources. I mean, that can, can also be debatable because, for example, emotional support is sort of quantifiable in a sense. Oh, yeah. You can exploit emotional saying... support out of someone by being manipulative oh, in a way in which they will serve your needs. Wait, so, but also thinking about it, right? If you saying that the uh, uh, the removal of the uh, Jewish people by Nazi Germany, I would consider that to be exploitation because you're extracting PR, essentially, from them. They also extract loads of wealth. And it's not just, a, mm-hmm. it's also wealth. And another way you can see, like, the Jewish people as being, like, exploited, it's not about their removal, but also their acceptance. Because, for example, one of the main reasons why, like, Anko could convince the European community to, like, let Spain in was because he fabricated some lies about how many Jews he protected during the fascist <laughs> time in his country. And, like, the numbers were, like, mm-hmm. ten times smaller than he actually presented them. But, like, that's a PR exploitation as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Franco was a piece of shit. <laughs> I, like, don't know anything about Franco at all, honestly. No, me either. Super honest. To me, honestly, going through his history, I think he's not a piece of shit. I think he's more like 70% piece of shit, 30% forced into doing bad things by circumstance. And, like, again, uh, there's actually this book. It's called The Dictator's Handbook, which talks about why... Uh, benevolent dictatorships don't really pop up, and it's not always the fault of the ethics of the ruler. Now, again, I'm not saying that that completely excuses Franco. I'm just saying there are reasons to believe that some of the shit he did was the latter rather than the former. Well, I mean, like, I agree with what you say. Other, th- Wait, hang on. I, I want to think about how I want to say this. Keep talking. One second. Well, I- oh, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I be, uh, uh, I feel like everyone, uh, is forced into doing what they're doing by circumstances, and everything you do is forced by circumstance. So I feel like saying, but you can still be bad and be forced into circumstance, because obviously bad people yeah, but exist, I, I and everyone is forced by circumstance. Oh, from a practical sense, yes, I would agree. Oh, no, right. I think you can make a practical distinction between sh- uh, like shitty things you desire to do and shitty things you are pushed into doing. Like, I think there is a difference to be made there. I agree that material circumstances push us into all, all the stuff we do, but there is a distinction that can be made practically. Okay, if that's what you mean, then a practical use of it, this is nitpicky, but yeah, then totally. <laughs> Oh, no, it's fine. Nitpicky is good. I'm a pedant as well. <laughs> um, okay, so, Ozzy, what, what were your political views? I know you said a couple things, but they weren't very specific at all. And I, <laughs> Okay, I mean, you, said, you said you didn't want to give yourself a label. Give yourself a label. <laughs> okay. So you're an anti I mean, like, in my political history, it's... I was, like, a Democrat, <laughs> and then I was... For a while, I was like a 9-11 truther, um, <laughs> Alex Jones, 
like, like yeah, it's the SJW phase everyone goes through, dude. And not necessarily the SJW phase. It was like they're putting fluoride in the water. C- conspiracy theory. They're covering phase. things up. Well, I mean, uh, I just consider that to be like that's just like a subsect of like the uh, SJW <laughs> yes. phase. That's like a specific type of it. Yes, I was like, I was like legit, like, oh, what happened to World Trade Center Seven? That was me for a good year or two. And then I kind nice. of crept back. Um, and then I kind of went like more left. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm still going to end up somewhere on the left. For a while, I was a very ardent, like, anarcho pacifist. <laughs> and nice. I, I, I still, <laughs> I, I still kind of sort of ascribe to that like ethically i am a pacifist like i don't like this is getting like less into politics but like i don't like violence i mean ethics is politics yeah yeah well you get a point but like you know i don't like legit if i see a mistake hold up just a second is it just me or is his audio wonky it's not you it's not just you yeah a little wonky oh Oh, everything is a little wonky no, it's okay. Because... It's probably okay. just for the names of shit. Um, just because... I probably, like, just flailing around. <laughs> just because I have the, um, I'm recording, and so that's why I want to make sure it's, if it's just me, that's still a problem. But if it's not just okay, me... Okay, so... Not just you, no. Okay. All right. So I will, it might be, like, the cord on this, so I will stay very, very still. But, like, I am... But like personal No, it was happening belief. to everybody's voices for a second there. It wasn't just it's it. Okay. it was a connection, okay. but it's fine. It's okay. But like legit, like if a mosquito is on me biting me, I will blow on it. I will not swat it. Well like, you can move, like, it's okay. It's fine. It's not you, it was yeah. the internet. Yeah, oh wait, oh like, you're talking about pacifists. I'm sorry. I thought you were yeah, saying you wouldn't <laughs> Like you're yeah, saying no. you wouldn't move to mess with the mic. Yeah. I don't fucking I know. Yeah, I would blow yeah, no, but like, I will, <laughs> I am, a, you know, because that's like more of like a religious standpoint of anti-violence. Mm. And for, I spent like a whole year of like being like, oh yes, the state is evil because the state is violence. And if we want to get rid of violence, we will have to get rid of the state, but that's not feasible. However, like I now recognize that like, you know, some violence is necessary to like prevent violence. And so I you think your uh, ideals are a pipe dream. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I am. I am. I am crazy writer boy. I will not. That's kind of my standpoint of like, oh, I will never be in charge of policy. So I am just going to think about things that are interesting to me and write stuff. And hope that the stuff I write is interesting. I dig yeah, it. I can cool. dig that. I can dig it. It's cool. Based. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. I, I I hope. I guess I could hope for a system in which people like me are allowed to like exist within it and flounce around within it, mm-hmm. and that not everyone is forced <sighs> to either conform to some greater hierarchy mm-hmm. or like be forced to work to death supporting 
an organization that only exists to like accrue wealth. So you care more and about like the practical realities of day to day life, and you're not worried about like I don't know a specific ideal of like structure. I just want to grill for God's sake. <laughs> oh no! I mean, don't I, say that. that's slow. I mean, it's not like a it's not like a practical day to day life because I'm not practical at all. I think I'm just kind of crazy. But like. I, I will, I like recognize that and I just want to like be like that. I want the practicality to not be practical. <laughs> and that's kind of my thing. Hmm. I guess. Cool. Gal, Gal, you're up. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I guess I wouldn't be sure where I fit these days uh, my leaning I suppose is like libertarian socialist but I don't really know what that means exactly um, and also, I love I how honest you are huh? I don't know what that means exactly I mean I just I love that that's funny yeah. <laughs> it's good I also don't know much about economics so it seems kind of foolish to like say I'm this or that when I don't really know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um, but I guess uh, aside from that stuff it would make more sense to think about like, more social stuff uh, and I suppose in that sense I'd be very progressive mm-hmm. um, I think if we're talking a bit about journeys I guess it kind of started with uh like a just sort of general Christian background. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I really like like Dostoevsky and uh, like a lot of what he was saying in The Brothers Karamazov, I think, was pretty cool. Um, or what's the guy's name? What's the father that uh, Alyosha really likes? Zazima, I think. Father Zazima. He was just talking about how um, there's like a particular passage that I really liked where you're just talking about uh, how to like be yourself as responsible for all the suffering in the world um, mm-hmm. and to like live in a way that atones for that or live in a way where you can make up for that through like really profound transcendent love um, and like how he was also talking about how the monasteries in Russia were like preserving the light of Christ so that when the world is ready, it could like reach out to everyone or like everyone could find it there. So I guess that kind of informs me of thinking in a sort of stoic way to like focus on yourself and what you can do and your own character uh, so that when things come about where you can affect the world, you'll be in a position where you can do it positively. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I am at. That's pretty cool. I maybe want to like read that passage. I was like, damn. Yeah, I feel like I've read, up. I've read like sections of care. Like I read like the whole problem of evil and like fucking like multiple philosophy mm. classes. We read that passage, but I never read the whole thing. Uh, I only mm. read Dostoevsky. I only read like everybody else the um, crime and punishment. 
And I was so pissed off at the end because I was like, I was expecting him to like get away with it and overcome it and be like, like, oh yeah, actually it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But like he did. <laughs> he just like got yeah. guilty and went to go like a quick Christian camp. And I was like, what? That's lame. Like I was so excited for the end. I was like, oh fuck yeah, this is going to be about this like guy. And he's like going to realize like, wow, morality sucks and like blah, blah, blah. And then he just, you know, oh no, he just went and absolved himself of his sins or what the fuck ever it was. I was like, damn, what a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) He's outrunning karma. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, But I always wanted to read that. Uh, I really like that book. Also, there's also another bit in it. Um, uh, Damn. Now you... I had it quite memorized, but now it's fleeting. Uh, oh, true security doesn't lie in isolated individual effort, but in the uh, social solidarity of man or something like that. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a yikes. No, 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 not on the, yeah, what, 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 just on the, meaning of what you were saying <laughs> um yeah so i think i think that's kind of how i think about um like yeah do everything i can but mm-hmm. the kind of more meaningful change will come about through social action which is i guess why i lean towards socialism mm-hmm. but what that means who the fuck knows mm-hmm. i mean what how would you you may not like actually quote unquote no what it means, but what do you think of what comes to mind when you think of socialism? Like, what's your um, guess about what it is, If it's even if it's uninformed? Like, what draws you to it in particular? Um, I guess specific practices like, uh, I don't know, worker self-management or um, direct democracy or, like, more democracy in local communities. Um, or more democratic control over economics and like economic production and stuff like that rather than I guess I would see our current system as like composed of like little city state authoritarian mm-hmm. structures that people don't really have much control over um, so like socialism would be putting more control of that and the actual people who participate in the production mm. um, but then also consumers as well like not having consumers just like having them have a role in what is or isn't produced and distribution and stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess I like the idea of like, I don't know, anarcho-syndicalism or something where like there's lots of unions and syndicalists that mm-hmm. kind of unite over common economic issues and stuff like that. But I mean, without a monopoly of violence, I mean, as shit as that is, I don't know. Like, would that just deteriorate into like warlordism and stuff like that? Because it very easily could, I imagine. I'll give you my response to that when it's my turn to explain my political process. But basically, I started where you were, and then I add a bit of state, and I can explain why that can work there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, tiny bit of state. <laughs> that sounds exactly like how I was when I first started uh, growing out to. And I went from progressive to about what you described to about where I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Um. Like, 
the pipeline is kind of see progressive as like its own thing in the social sort of realm. What, yeah. what would it cultural? Be I feel like progressivism is uh, accepting the fact that these uh, cultural exploitations exist. And then I feel like moving into uh, socialism is accepting that it's not just cultural. Although you should argue that capitalism is a type of culture, I don't really care. And you can also argue that you can have socialism without progressivism. So it's kind of the area. Yeah, I'm, but maybe there's I'm definitely using, some sort of pipeline. Maybe I'm using or, progressive uh, sense to you. Or the, There are definitely places with more worker equality and less cultural progressivism. Yeah. Despite the fact that the yeah. pipeline exists. I would know. I, I live in Eastern Europe. We're like, <laughs> way more sock them than the US, but also way less, uh, way more regressive like socially. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying in the U.S. at least there's that uh, transition. The U.S. there is definitely a pipeline, yes. Wait, so the pipeline you mean is like from being culturally progressive to becoming socialist? To becoming uh, yes. uh, like full-on communist or whatever? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Hmm. I think I'm, where I am now, uh, I feel drawn towards the economic right a little. <gasps> Ooh. No. <laughs> Hell yeah. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Fuck yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't really. <laughs> no. <laughs> really no, you can't be culturally progressive, but uh, also a capitalist. No, capitalism fuels that. No. Of course you can. That's the that's the sad part. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm joking. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's it's like the no, you can't do that, and haha, burr. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! But like, I love how that like originated from like political shit because like the ANCAP bow tie is still visible in that yeah. everywhere, <laughs> and I just love that. Like every time I see it, I just I love it because I know no, that's... you can't artificially inflate a currency. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh, money printer go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so good um wow all right well yeah so sorry no. last thing yes um, please I don't, I don't know if uh being drawn a little bit more to the right like i don't know because i still like the idea of like socialization of things um i don't know if that would make me like a market socialist or like uh not exactly no no. What what is a market socialist? Like what is it where you can uh, have market, market socialist is pretty much a person who like wants to like um, socialize the communities, like for small communities, the means of production, but doesn't care as much about abolition of currency and doesn't care as much about the means of consumption. Basically yeah. people who give more of a fuck about, for example, Employee, employer exploitation, then about consumers. Too much. Why why don't they care about consumers? Because basically the logic is that free market, whether it's capitalist or not, 
will eventually like get prices down from the consumers because there will be pressures from demand. Especially if there are like that large corporations that can like control prices oligarchically. Okay. Yuck. Okay, that's me. Hmm. No, I mean, not saying I'm market socialist, I'm saying I'm done. Uh, yeah. Well, nice. So I guess it's my turn. I am uh, extremely ignorant, but I feel like even if you are ignorant, it is still fine to, you know, give your best guess. Just acknowledge your ignorance, right? But, How are you supposed to become unignorant if you're uh, not so? Uh, well, you continue to try justice. to learn. You can. You continue to try to learn, but um, just because there is no, you don't have a good answer or a clear answer doesn't mean you should still make assertions about how you interpret things. I mean, that's how you um, progress, I guess. Yeah, that's how you learn. So um, that's where I'm coming from. I will. I like the way of of trying to avoid labels, at least at the beginning. Uh, but you know. Um, <coughs> Uh, I will, I'll just try to go based on what I what I like. I hate big organizations. I hate 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 them. I I think they're evil. I think they're horrible. I'm all about decentralization and just scaling things down like to very local level. I think people should be directly involved in their communities. I feel like there shouldn't be, you know, um, like like governing. Like it shouldn't be someone's job to do governing. You know, like it should just be people make decisions together in addition to whatever else they do in their time to make a living, you know, like, but, but, but being, I don't like the idea of like a politician as a job. Um, so like you'd have most decisions be like through referendum pretty much, right? Sure. Just like the community directly voting on it. And that can only work with small communities, but that's fine for you because. Yes. Just one smoke. Okay. Yes. Um, and I mean, like, obviously, I'm talking about specifically what I would want in my community, like, ideally. Um, but I, I don't really care about what other places do as long as, like, the place I live is the way I want it to be, right? Um, uh, I... Also, practically speaking, like I know that kind of vision I have is like super like not realistic. Like when I think about my day to day life, like honestly, I just only care about my practical reality of like I want to be able to do the things I want to do. I want my life to continue to be pretty good. Um, you know, I don't re I care more about the laws that might actually have a direct impact on me than the ones that don't um, because I just ultimately don't like the government and don't want it to, I want it to affect my life as little as possible, basically. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And yeah, that makes complete sense. I don't feel this urge to like go and, um, uh, well, I, I, I would like to continue like to do what I can realistically to build like to, to like, for instance, when I buy property, when I settle down in a community, like I would want to be involved in that local government at least like are aware of it just to try and keep it the way I want it to be. Not because like I particularly, you know, want that power, if that makes sense. Um, but I would, hey, that makes sense, yeah. you know, but I would want to have some control over what the fuck goes on in my backyard, you know? Um, 
and I guess I like capitalism. I like money. I think it makes it's. I think it's a very democratic way of moving value around. Um, and the problems with capitalism come when it's on large scales, especially with government intervention, but also just like big companies. Like I said, I hate all large organizations. I mean, the only problem is that how is one meant to uh, not to have any centralization of power in that system, whether it be government or corporation? Well, I'm to be honest with you, I don't see government and corporation as that different from each other. Both are I a way don't to... disagree with you at all. I don't disagree. Um, it's kind of like what we, we were talking what we were talking about with my thing is that you know small com- companies inevitably get bigger um, as like an incentive right. of capitalism. Uh, I, here's the thing. I mean, I I first of all, I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is true. Um, I feel like it doesn't have to be true. I mean, I guess history says it's generally true, but yeah, it's generally true. But yeah. Um, and I, I think also, um, like I said, I only care about where I live. Um, and like, if I can live in a place that fosters a culture that doesn't just try to grow and expand and gain power, and as long as we can manage to fend off other larger institutions from exerting power over us, uh, I don't really care what goes on outside. I'll be honest with you. Um, and it's much easier to uh, like prevent um, like a like a monopoly or something like that happening in when it's just isolated to your local community, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So yeah, that's that's me. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and oh, 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 we didn't do the journey thing as well. Uh, yeah. I was, my dad was very Republican. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. This is a tangent. I'm so sorry. But I just, he, he didn't, he always wasn't always Republican. He went through his like phase where he was very politically involved and like um, super left wing, I think, or progressive. Um, but he told me, like one time when like during the Viet like when the Vietnam War was about to happen, he and his band, because um, <laughs> I showed him the J Rig video, uh, I want to die in a war, because <laughs> I love that yeah. video. <laughs> it is like it is like one of my favorites. And my dad said, "Oh yeah, like when when the Vietnam War was about to happen, my band and I we we did a song. It was like a really upbeat, like there's gonna be a war." Like that kind of song, like something like that. Like, and I just thought it was interesting, like, because um, that was a lot of the music my dad did. I think it was sort of almost performance art-y, like very strange, bizarre. Um, it wasn't exactly ironic, but like... The just... first anti-century. <laughs> um, well, no, just things like, um, you know, like they... Like it gets songs inspired by weird shit and it was just wheezy to be weird. It was just weird on purpose, you know? Um, anyways, <clears throat> my dad was Republican. So I was raised very Republican. You know, I, I my, I was, uh, not forced, but like instructed to read Ayn Rand, you know, uh, you know, Atlas Shrugged, Fountainhead. Um, uh, the other one, oh, why can't I think of the name of it? It's the shorter one. Um, 
anthem anthem that's it you know and so like that's how i was raised for sure um mildly christian but just very mildly so um and then i never really had a left lefty phase honestly but i never had like an sjw phase like i was always very socially progressive um, maybe less so than my friends, but, um, and I, I still, you know, think stuff like, like, I think it's bull, like hate speech and all that kind of shit. It's bullshit. I don't give a fuck about it. Like, I don't think anyone, there's not very many serious leftists that, uh, yeah. worry too much well, about that. That's more like your standard Twitter woke boys. Excuse me. Yeah. So, uh, at my, let me explain here at my, so my coworker is on the diversity and inclusion committee at our, at my workplace. And, um, also then she was talking about, like, we have things going on, um, at where I work, um, you know, sort of thinking about in response to all the race stuff going on in the United States. And so at our lab meeting this past week, we read a paper and talked about it. And now, mind you, I work in, you know, the school of medicine. I don't, we, we don't work, we work on like biology, microbiology, genetic stuff. But we're, we're, we're spending time talking about this shit. This is the article we read and discussed. Language matters, considering microaggressions in science. We read a whole fucking paper about microaggressions. And, and it was like, there are three types of microaggressions. Microassault, microinsult, microinvalidation. All this bullshit. And I'm like, it does have, it does have validity. Like, I, I understand the emotional story here and the emotional reality of people having to deal with bullshit in their day-to-day lives due to, you know, a culture that has a lot of prejudice and racism and whatever. My dear God. Um, uh, I don't know, man. People I mean, yeah, like- things like that obviously exist. I mean, like, there's no debating if they exist or not. But the idea of just giving someone a pamphlet about them and expecting them to just become a magically better person doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The system in place and the system that is giving you these pamphlets is the very one that causes this artificial competition and artificial us uh, versus them mentality. What? That's some Jack Rousseau bullshit of everyone is like inherently good and they just need to be instructed how to be good. <laughs> yeah, the thing though is that people aren't inherently good or bad. They're just products of the world around them. So when the, pro- so when the world around them is encourages competition and encourages us versus them and then just gives them a pamphlet that says otherwise, they're not going to become fundamentally different people. Wait, wait. I mean, I get, I agree that people are products of their environment, but I think um, I don't like thinking that way. I don't think it's. Useful. <laughs> I don't like thinking that way. I don't think it's useful to think that way. I mm. mean, I think you have to take into consideration um, the material reality of you know how people uh, what people have when they they're bored and what they grow up with, but um, the emphasis in addition to maybe being placed on giving people the material advantages or, or, or aids to help them, you know, succeed, but, but also, um, or maybe more importantly, emphasizing 
or, or I just hate like the whole victim kind of culture where it's like people feel like they're owed all of this stuff. And I mean, the a, two things are not mutually exclusive because like on one hand, at an individual level, we can like educate and encourage personal responsibility above all else. But then as a community, you can focus on the material conditions. You can do both. Yes. Sure. I wasn't saying you can't do both. Moderation. Um, I think also it is better to do that kind of thing on the um, lo- very, very local level. It should, I mean, it should very much, and it's much more easier and efficient to do because it's more easy to see the obvious injustices when you're like directly involved with the parties. Um, yeah. Yes, it's my turn, right? Oh, no, but just uh, one more oh, yeah, thing. I was, I, and then I, I listened to a podcast about American history. And I, and I was, and then so I was Republican, but then uh, I became more libertarian. And then I listened to a podcast about, like, American history stuff. And it just was, like, the government shit, like, that he talked about, like, the shit that it, it was just so awful. And it just made me hate the government, like, hate it so much. Like, I hated the government. Like, I was like, oh, this is so evil. And just thinking the government is fucking evil. And then I was ANCAP uh, because any control of the, like, any non-capitalist economy is obviously authoritarian because ANCAP. I mean, the problem is that, I know. Uh, look, 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 look. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, look. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just uh, going full ML hours out here. It's okay. It's okay. I, uh, it's just, um, I know that, I, I don't think I'm, there at the moment exactly uh that's why because on my the other servers i'm like uh born and kept questioning egoist because now i've been moving against all big organizations like not just government but also even like big companies like like a, a, a company is just as evil as a i mean the government is a type of company it's just a monopoly you know um and i also like the whole egoism thing um where I, I dig it. I do. I need to read more about it, but I, I like that egoist uh, outlook on individual responsibility. Like the the largest organized, like the largest governing body should be the individual. Like I can fuck with that. I like that uh, personal responsibility and that kind of thing. Individualist anarchism. Cool. I feel like a egoism is useful but at the same time i feel that utilitarianism is useful and i feel like it's important to not go too far either way because egoism i mean it depends on what you consider egoism but lots of the time i see a cooper well i mean egoism isn't anti-cooperation which lots of people yeah it's not at all because often cooperation is mutually beneficial Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking in like the capitalist sense. And I feel that egoism and Marxism are very compatible with each other. But I feel that some are worried that the revolution will impact themselves more negatively than the outlook of it will uh, be beneficial for the whole. And in that sense, I can't consider myself to be a full egoist, nor am I a utilitarian, because... I dislike the entire idea of utilitarianism and see it no different from might makes right, to be honest with you. I hate utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is cringe. 
It's awful. It's so scary. Fuck that. The individual is... Each individual is equal to the value of the entire universe. Like, because that's that's just how... That's just like... I mean, it's incalculably valuable. Incalculably valuable. Each individual is. Well, if you do the basic uh, utilitarian calculus, you will see that (laughs) actually killing 100 minorities is actually beneficial. (laughs) I don't care. Oh, okay. FLP. Um, about... Like, the number of people you help. I just care about individuals having as much... um, I just care about individuals. That's all I care about. Uh, I feel like the individual should not be tread on, but at the same time, the individual should not be the sole body. Well, by tread on, I mean, like, seriously. (laughs) I feel like there has to be some concessions on the individual level, but it is still important to keep it in mind. That sounds much better. Please no steppy. Well, like, for instance, um, <laughs> I think, um, oh, something disposable. Hey. Yeah, you guys still going? No, <laughs> we're still going. Still wow. going. Uh, but, uh, well, shit, what was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah, but, like, for instance, I think I prefer, I don't know how relevant this is, but, like, for instance, if in the running of a community, rather than have, like, written out laws, I prefer everything was just left up to personal judgment. Like, I don't, like, formalized anything. Like, I, um... I see a problem with that, though, <laughs> is that it's really easy for then other people to go and take your freedom away by just exerting their will over you. You just I gotta fight them off. Need... Gotta fight them off. Yeah, but that's not... But that doesn't actually maximize freedom in practice, I don't think. Well, depends on how you define freedom. I don't know. It does depend on how you define freedom. A lot. A lot. Sorry? Oh, I, I just said a lot. Like, it's one and day, the definitions of freedom you guys are using. Yeah. I think they... And just because, like, a certain system might allow for a... Make or make it easy for an unfree system to arise doesn't mean that system with freedom is bad. It just means like, yeah, it has a flaw, potential and flaw. That's the thing. It, it, I think in any of those kinds of societies, that you have to place a lot of trust in culture. Yep. Which is I why it's necessary to escape the material conditions that have a culture that is beneficial for all. Blah, 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 Marxism. Exactly. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Stop, stop, stop. So cultural Marxism is real? Whoa. Oh, my God. Whoa. Wait, don't tell This is classified. This is highly classified. Oh, my God. Shut yo, up, yo, up. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. Like, <laughs> yo. <laughs> you just made me think that the idea of cultural Marxism isn't as cringe as I used to think it was. Like, you legitimately made me feel like that concept has more legitimacy. I have no idea. I thought it was bullshit. But it's obviously not. But what, what was bullshit? 
What was bullshit? Like when my dad would say, oh, it's all the cultural Marxists trying to overthrow everything. I just thought of him as oh, a God. fucking idiot. Oh, the cultural, the culture, I mean, what's the thing about cultural Marxists? Cultural Marxism is about changing society, not necessarily governments. That's a part of it, but it's much... There's 100% It's to Marxism, but when you say it's like the word games, it's the word games, right? Cultural Marxism genuinely could have meaning. The only problem is it's always been, it was literally national Bolshevikism is literally a Nazi term. And it just mm -hmm. evolved to cultural, cultural Marxism. Because Bolshevikism became a, less of a thing people said and it became more about Marxism. Like, there is definitely a culture necessary for ideas such as Marxism to work effectively, <laughs> but I dislike the whole conservative talking point about cultural Marxism because it addresses none of these things meaningfully. But it, but it just, I don't know. I, I just am realizing part of Marxism is wanting to foster a culture that Marxism could work in. And that's well. I mean, of course. That's, no shit. And that, I know. Well, I, sorry. I hey, I am ignorant. I never said I wasn't ignorant. No, no, no. It's it's cool. It's cool. It's just funny to me to see you have this realization. That, not that not that you're like dumb for not. You know, <laughs> no. Not oh my god, you're so dumb for not realizing. Yeah, dumb baby. It's just funny to me that like I'm three It's because like I'm gonna be honest. If you plunged everyone in the world now into the communist utopia, it's gonna it would fail up. within weeks. Yes, <laughs> and because that, that's that's the other thing about people that want to transition straight from capitalism to communism is that you're still, for a lot of people, gonna have a mindset of overconsumption yes. because I mean, you're be already fair, born into a culture. Can, okay. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, to be fair, most people can survive without food for a month. But wouldn't <laughs> yeah, but the goal is to make people happy. Month. Uh, wait, sorry. Liberal, right? Oh, it's complicated. So, are you <laughs> Strap in for the ride, boys. Strap in for the ride. Shut up, Lynch. So, Shut up, Lynch. All right, let's go. Yeah. So, there are three major labels that I use for myself. And they might sound contradictory, but wait for it. It all makes sense in the end. So... I would call myself number one, a neoliberal, number two, a confederalist minarchist, number three, a market socialist. Let me explain why. I'll go through them one by one, because they're in that order, actually. So number one, I call myself a neoliberal specifically because I'm an extremely slow and incremental reformist. So because of this, I think that it is practical for me to describe the place that I occupy within the Overton window because I want to move the system from within the Overton window. Uh, so, yeah, so basically I'm not saying that neoliberalism is the best. I'm saying that I like neoliberalism more than the other centrist ideologies. Like I like it more than neocon, I like it more than SOC them, and I like it more than them SOC. That's basically what I'm saying. I think that, like, from within neoliberalism, I can achieve my goals easier than from the others. If I do it slowly and incrementally, that's all I mean by that. Now, to go to uh, confederalist minarchism, this is basically the system that is described in uh, Robert Nozick's Anarchy, State, and Utopia, where basically he's describing an end-state system where you have, like, 
extremely decentralized and devolved uh, communities of like-minded individuals and then like free migration of people in between those communities. Then there might be like a large organization whose only purpose is if an individual community is like uh, stopping its like uh, members from leaving it, this like large organization created through like the community's Bind would stop that region. It's pretty much like how in the European Union, for example, if one of the countries stopped being democratic, the others would just like send troops at it. It's pretty much like that. Only for not allowing these people to leave. Like if it becomes authoritarian, but people still have freedom of movement, so they can leave if they no longer agree with the ideals of the community, then the community is fine. The larger org won't like tread on it. Then finally, number three, market socialism uh, because within the system of like uh, communities with very like uh, high local autonomy and with like-minded individuals that can choose which community to stay in, uh, I would choose the community that is market socialist. I would look for the one that is actually market socialist. That makes so that's why I use those free labels and like it sounds way weirder initially than when I explain it. No, I mean I it makes free. perfect yeah. sense. But the only problem I can see with it is that uh it wouldn't the uh market socialism piece alongside of that, wouldn't that be ripe for exploitation? For what? I'm sorry. Uh wouldn't that be ripe for exploitation and the market socialist piece would probably dissolve? And I think, so like the thing here is that uh, I think that everyone who is lib, who is like in the lower half of the political compass, has two important values that we all share in common. One of which is freedom and one of which is uh, abolishing unjust hierarchies. I would say that for myself, the order in which I put those two values is I put freedom first and I put uh, demolishing unjust hierarchies second. So I think that at the point where I would reach market socialism, I would say that, of course, there is still some unjust hierarchies, not between employer and employees, because employers wouldn't exist. The companies, rather the worker co-ops would be democratic, but there would be like maybe an unjust hierarchy between consumer and co-op. And I'm fine with that existing. I don't want to go further than that, because at that point, I feel like in order to create more equality, you'd have to trade on freedom more than I'd be willing to do. I'm lib, and I'm fine with hierarchy. I, uh, it, it, hierarchy can be good or hard. Well, I mean, hierarchy as an idea doesn't seem bad until right. you recognize the consequences of it. There are well, consequences as an idea. Of I'm not saying the consequences, and I don't I mean, think it's bad as a concept. There, there's another word you're missing, which is unjust. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't miss the it. concept uh, of separating society into groups. I, I said like we want to de- demolish unjust hierarchies. I did yeah. not say or not the concept of hierarchy. Not that the concept of hierarchies shouldn't be able to be applied to the society. Oh, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, that was misspeaking on my part. I agree 100%. All right. Oh, fine, that's fine. But, like, for example, if, like, next to my market socialist community, there was, like, another community that was, AM, like, AMCOM, uh, I'd be fine with them existing. They can just, like, chill there. I just wouldn't go there. 
If then there's, if oh there's like, I don't have the money to make the wine, oh I wouldn't go to that. You're German. No. Soda what? Dream. <laughs> we needed you for Wittgenstein. Oh, soda. Hey, Soda. Hi. <laughs> you all right? You good. Sorry, very late. Here's the morning. We're just talking about politics. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not even yeah. talking about it. Not the book, not the book. It's fine. <laughs> <clears throat> the Wittgenstein thing kind of like opened and shut like a while ago. A long <laughs> time ago. Every time. Wait, you guys every have just time. been talking about politics the entire time we've been gone? <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily. It started, it started with like jokes when it comes uh, uh, language, but that's about it. Yeah. Soda, we need to hear your political beliefs. If you what? Can. Your political beliefs. <laughs> That's I... a weird question to drop on somebody. Progressive? Okay. Nice. Are you literally just going to say one word? You've been giving our whole life stories over here. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally no clue about my political beliefs. Yeah, that's completely fair, dude. That's like, most of us. I'm not going to fault you. That's me, low-key. I'm just saying the yeah. one... Oh, I have no I idea. Right I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I feel like I have to make some kind of claim, so I do. Well, here's... here's yeah. What it's been for me is, like, when I first started... I was curious about this kind of thing since I was, like, 14, and everything I would look into, I would think, well, yeah, this could work. <laughs> like, fascism, yeah. eh, whatever. It, it, it could work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Communism, yeah. Capitalism, it, yeah, it's fine. Neoliberalism, cool. And I've just been gradually realizing that, like, maybe we shouldn't do fascism. And, maybe. <laughs> like, over time, just eliminating ideologies. Hmm. Hmm. So, wait, I've never felt the I've always, yeah. <laughs> I've been raised to hate communism. Like, I still have an, an instinctual hatred of it. But like, I, I acknowledge, like, I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm learning more open of it. But like, that's how I was, I was totally raised like that. Like, oh, yes, awareness precedes treatment. So that's great. Uh, it's yeah. very brainwashed. I still think I don't like it. But like, who knows? Who the fuck knows? I mean, I just have recently. You, have you heard? Okay. Have you, there's this theoretical idea. I'm really curious to know what you think of it. Um, freedom. Hmm. Or I guess I can call you Eva now. Yeah, whatever. What? Um, so, you know, what if there's a, there's this idea that if you can take basically do what Amazon is doing, um, t where they're Amazon like, is evil on the way. What? Sorry, no, no they're, they're on their way to monopolizing and automating pretty much. Like, just online distribution of many goods. If you take that, but have it be a government doing it instead of a corporation with capital incentive that doesn't necessarily match the needs of uh, people and also distribute commodities through it, um, what, what would you think about that system where you have some sort of centralized organization controlling That's everything terrifying. that has no capital incentive? That's so fucking it terrifying. It has no capital incentive because everything is automated. 
So you don't need capital. Incentive. I don't like centralized anything. It's scary. It's the centralized want... algorithm, though. It's it's not that any algorithm. one person has. It doesn't control matter. It doesn't have to be a person. It's just any kind of thing that has control. Like, really? Okay. Ew. Ew. So it doesn't matter that the, it's it's it can still be equal, but if there's some central control, you don't. I don't want central. Control. I want diversity. I want all sorts of different. Like I want people to do whatever works best for them. Well, I feel like, like different genocide. strokes for different folks, you know. Like <laughs> that's why that's why not everybody would need the same things in that system. But you could still get there. I, there's a lot of things I'm not explaining about this idea. Um, there's like in, in terms of how you handle scarcity and like conflicts between what people are asking for and stuff. But the but I just prefer still... the chaos of like no overarching. <laughs> no, <All right. laughs> no I, I just I just like it better when it just it's it's left up to like individuals making their own decisions. I feel like better results come about from that than when you try to centrally plan things. I really do. I think randomness actually gives birth to better results. And I think I'm well, influenced you could, by... You could build randomness into the algorithm. I don't care. I don't want to... My algorithm, <laughs> it's not going to be truly random. It's going to be still be an algorithm. I, I feel Is like... Is anything truly random? Yeah. No, but, but uh, I think like based on, I don't know, the way... I don't know. I just had this thought right now. Maybe it's a bit of a silly high thought. But like looking at evolution, the way evolution works... Um, I mean, it's just, it's completely fucking random. Um, yeah. And no, that was a stupid thought. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Ignore me. But yeah. I, I still, I, okay, still, no, 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 no. Like, actually, actually here. Okay. Uh, so like a, a way they do, for instance, like design, um, of certain, like, like when they're searching for drugs or searching for something is they'll do a random, they'll randomize the options and do like a. Uh, evolution of like randomizing the options so they'll like do a set of like 20 random iterations of something and then pick the one that does best and then like do like random versions of that like like evolve the whatever it is to get the best result i feel like um that's, that's just... basically just brute forcing isn't it um but it's sometimes but i think I, but I think in some situations where the systems are extremely complex it's actually the best way to do things like for instance and predict like stuff like predicting protein structure it's such a complex system like it's so fucking like it's it's just like it, there's just so many variables it's like you can't really easily predict it but doing things randomly yeah. trying to understand it through like testing random whatever actually the best method for um figuring yeah. it out and like to the point where like sometimes what it is is like uh like there's like a tool that my friend was using and like i mean it was kind of like a learning tool or like a game for like trying to pr like make potential protein structures and like part of it was like you just would like literally click randomly on like a 3d model and try to like see like if you made that point that you just randomly clicked on like you know a specific thing how would that so cool actually holy shit and like uh, but it worked like that's like actually a really good way doing just random shit. Like you're not intentionally trying no. to get to the right answer. Like you're just randomly clicking around or randomly putting in inputs and just choosing the best one out of those. And like that's actually a really effective method for um, certain certain things. And so like that's how I see yeah. I see that's that on the large scale with like societies. I feel like probably the best way to get the best results. I'm actually like maybe. Um, 
allowing a diversity of systems, you know, just allowing things to kind of run their course without trying to centrally plan it. I don't know. And I'm mostly into that, you know. Oh, so I guess everybody, everybody's done their uh, political beliefs. Um, um, we should talk about. Yeah, I think. So um, that she's progressive, and then she stopped at that. I, I like no, 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 posthumanism. No. I like posthumanism. Nice. I think we should all be replaced by robots. Same. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Nice. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just um I'm. Uh, last year in ethics, we in school, um, uh, I, um, I was just constantly arguing with my teacher, who was clearly humanist, and I, I was like, um, just over weeks, I think, probably, I guess, who joined? Did somebody join? I think something uh, left something and came back. And left. No, oh. he left and came back. Mm. Hmm? And, and I just wait. I, oh wait. You can take your time and think about it. Okay. Okay. Um. Like. He just believes that only humans can make art and not robots, for example, mm-hmm. and that uh, robots cannot truly be conscious of what, and I don't get it. I think robots are like machines could be more conscious than humans, and so they could be like better versions of humans and uh, it shouldn't make a difference for us. Oh, wow. I love that. What if it turns out that humans can't be communists and we get replaced by communist robots? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, awesome. what about like, cool. you think about like fucking insect colonies. I mean, it's not like I'm going to live forever. Why should I care about humans living forever? I don't know if I've shared this idea with anybody, but I have this, like, in my, this connects to what you were saying, Soda. I have in my head this idea of a transhumanist utopia where (laughs) if we take it far enough, eventually you can control your perception. Mm -hmm. And so essentially you become the god with your human mind, your human (laughs) mind can become the god of whatever reality you're in. But there's no ethical yeah. concerns because you don't have to actually harm anybody. Mm, that's like, how even, kind of even in theory, you can have both. Like, yeah, at least I think. Would it be some so sort like, of virtual reality? Something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. That, like, obviously, I don't know the details because the thing I'm describing doesn't exist. Um, but yes, so, in theory. Yeah. So, so you're like you're you're basically describing a system in which like a serial killer can live out his perfect life, serial yeah. killing, and yeah. pedophiles yeah. can like 
do the pedophile thing, and yeah. then they're just like, but because we're like all hooked up to this like massive machine. So like the Matrix exists. Yeah, the problem is what do you I do? I didn't technically Rupert? have <laughs> sex with minors. It was just digital, bro. Chill. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but do you mean like I'm all of your kidding, existence right? is in that like? All of your existence, like you, you, there's faculties in your mind that control through transhumanism, control your perception of reality. So you're just living so, whatever life you want. You're just basically living in a loose Pretty much, and there's no ethical consequences because you're not actually harming anybody. What's the point of, like, hmm. having kids in that situation and, like, creating more life? Like, what's the point of anything in that life? <laughs> See, that's the thing. That humanity dies out really fucking fast. Yeah. <laughs> you do this. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I always fantasize about, like, oh, what if we agree that we were a mistake and we just, like... Uh, That's what's so the word? horrible. Sterilize oh, I know everyone. This. Yeah. And then it's horrible. just like, yeah, we have That's 80 years horrifying. to live. That's horrifying. Uh, there's, there's, there's like suicide Normative antinatalism. That's horrifying to me. <laughs> Normative antinatalism. Antinatalism. <laughs> Our life is amazing. We should make as many more lives as possible. Like, if I, I don't know. I have to think about it more. But part of me thinks that we are ethically obligated to have babies. Mm. Huh. I mean, is it life? Is it life less random than uh, chaos? Yeah. We should. I mean, even if Sarahul wants to have kids, actually, no, no. Life is the most chaotic thing of all. Life is the most chaotic thing of all. Are you kidding me? Life is like makes the most disorder. Like. Yeah. Disorder. Life is the most chaotic thing in the universe. It really is. Um, and so, I, 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 of course, life. It, like, since life is chaos, that's why I prefer for life, I guess, right? <laughs> yep. But here's the thing. Like, actually, I should ask. Also, I don't want to just cut off what Soda said by completely changing the topic because. Huh. At, you, just go so, on. Just go, go ahead. Back. Okay, just go ahead. All right. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what makes you think people are ethically... You're, you're questioning whether people are ethically bound to have kids or not. And based on what you've said about like your ethical philosophies previously, I would think that you would think it's morally neutral. But you're saying that Oh you well, have an obligation to. Well, no, I should rephrase, but I, I think that um, you know I've decided that uh, life is inherently valuable. Life is inherently good, um, and that means if I'm striving to maxim, like, uh, like if I want like more, if you want more good in the world, you should have more life. You know, you should have as many new lives as possible. Um, and most of this was mostly I went down this thought process when thinking about abortion and my views on that and the idea that, oh, like, um, it's better to have an abortion rather than have a kid that has a shitty life. And I was like, no, that's fucking wrong. Like, it's better to have a shitty life than no life. 
because at least with a life you have a possibility of something good happening like just because like you were born to bad situation doesn't mean that like something amazing might not have might happen to you and maybe it's true that like most people who are born into shitty conditions have shitty lives but there's still like a couple of them who have amazing lives like i don't think we have a i don't know i i don't know but what if the unhappy but they might be happy later I mean, I feel like the the potential, the potential for, um, happiness in life or fulfillment or meaning, the potential for, um, good in life makes it always worth the risk to life. Um, because that good is, is more worth more, always so much more than the like bad shit happening, being a negative, like. Like, because, like, I think I was talking about this on the JRA Philosophy channel, but, like, there are moments in people's lives that feel like, like, occasionally, and it might be happen only once, you know, but, and maybe it might never happen to some people, but, but most people have a couple of moments in their life where it's like, damn, like, this is an amazing moment. Life is worth it for this fucking moment. Like, I, I mean, like, has, uh, most people have that experience a couple of times, maybe, like, in their life, right? And, um, that moment is literally worth all fucking suffering. Cause in that moment, those moments, it's, it's just, uh, <laughs> uh, perfection, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know how it sounds sort of cheesy when I say that, but like, it's like, there's no negative that can outweigh the great, great positive of those moments of meaning in life. Um, and that's why all life is worth it. All life is worth the risk because it's the only shot you have at experiencing that. But now the important question, are you a vegetarian? No. Yes. What about the animal's life? I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but like, I don't really care. I mean, I don't like when I say, I, when I, when I, uh, here's the thing. I, uh, I, I, just because I think something is, moral or right or whatever doesn't mean i'm gonna do it <laughs> does that make sense <laughs> i love that or ethical just I because just because i think something is ethical there we go just because i think something is ethical <laughs> doesn't mean ethical doesn't yeah, mean it's profitable um because i mean i enjoy certain things that maybe are unethical but i don't care like meat, like I don't care. I like to eat meat. Uh, you know, I don't give a shit. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Whatever, you know. I mean, I prefer, I guess, like to have ethically sourced meat. Um, but I don't really lose sleep over it. Like I, like I'm not gonna put extra effort into that shit. Like, or that much. Effort. Here's the here's the way I think about it. Like, for me personally, I, I me eating the meat is not unethical. Them treating beings unethically is unethical, but I am not doing that by eating the byproducts. Uh, I think, like, I don't fucking care. Like, I'll, I think it's almost better if you're the one hurting the animal and then you eat it. I, I just don't care about animals. It's fine. That's fair. I mean, I feel like there's like a point I'm of I'm like, there's a point of sentience where something goes from just being a simple in-out machine to a actual thinking thing. 
Obviously, yeah. it's completely arbitrary where you put that, but I like putting sentience at being human because obviously we know that humans are sentient, and because that's basically <laughs> the definition of sentience. Do we? Do we know well, anybody but us? Common, common, definition, common definition of sentience is basically just human. Uh, well, I think that. Um... I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think animals feel pain, and I think it's fucked up to cause them pain. But, like, I'm okay with causing pain sometimes. Like, that's just how the world works. People get experience pain. I'm going to cause pain to people sometimes. It's just a fact of life. I'll try to limit it to what I believe is a reasonable degree, which may ultimately be arbitrary. Um, but, you know. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel that it is a very bad idea for uh, us to ever give robots the uh, ability <laughs> to have human-like levels of sentience. Why? Because I'm going to be honest, right? Oppression almost always happens when you have asymmetrical uh, ability or resources, right? So if you have... So you're assuming that the, the robots would be on top. Well, I mean, they will be. They will be. If <laughs> would they I necessarily? They, I guarantee you that if nothing is done, robots will 100% have higher levels of processing and consciousness than people do. Yeah, but I feel like when you think about the practical reality of like robots maintaining themselves and maintaining their, um, like getting the resources they need to you know, maintain their systems. Um, I don't know. Maintain, like... And at a certain point, there will be nothing stopping them from doing that themselves and requiring... I feel like... Well, the, here's the thing, though. They'd have to have control over their own factories. Yeah. But, like... But, I mean, listen, we see, we see lots of animals as pretty much in-out machines, right? Because we are for the most part, able to uh, comprehend their processes of mind, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how that's how a being of much higher sentience would perceive well, us. Why, why are robots necessarily of higher sentience? Well, why because if they're self because if they have like algorithms of self improving, once they get to be as smart as a human, and they get smarter, it will be like an exponential thing. Yes. Is that exploit humans. Why do humans like to exploit humans? Well, not all, not all humans want to exploit humans. Oh, yes, but plenty of them do because they feel that they can gain from it. If a robot, per se, needs more resources and exploitation <laughs> of people give that robot more resources, then it would make sense for the robot to exploit the people. And the thing, though, is that a robot would be able to exploit people without people even realizing, because a, a, sen a powerful enough sentience would be able to see people as an in-out machine and basically say, sentence them and, cost the, and what, cause the person to do something without what, them even being what aware of it. possible incentive would a robot have for any organic life at all? Like, I feel like organic life could just get in the way of, like, making more robots, like, because, like, the raw materials for robots. And, like, like... We're just gonna kill them. Well, no, but, like, if you're a robot, like, why would you, and you just, like, and you operate, like, other life where you just want to self-replicate? Like... And that's a, that's oh. a 
example of exploitation, killing for more resources in space. Yeah. Um, there's this one, like, thought experiment that someone developed where they make this AI that, like, does, that, like, mimics signatures, right? And then they hook it up to the internet, and then this AI accidentally becomes, like, super intelligent, and then realizes that if they just killed all of the people with a neurotoxin and they convert everyone to paper and pens and all these resources that they could do to make as much signatures as possible, then, and, and, and then we're just kind of all dead. I mean, I'll be honest, I prefer the thought experiment where all humans die and get turned into paper clips. That's more fun. Well, that's, yes. that's I think, a problem with the way that we would program, with the, the instrumental goals that we would program the yeah. AI to have. I mean, yeah, but we're not sure how to do that, that safely. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not really one that creates paper clips. There's, we have hundreds of other conditions that we also want, and I think yeah. that's mainly what that thought experiment illustrates. Not necessarily that there's any inherent issue with using artificial intelligence as a concept. Yeah, it's it's. I'm just trying to say it with like in regards to like what would cause robots to want something. It's just like when it comes to like faulty programming and they could like very easily see humans as an obstacle when it comes to like doing their goal in the most efficient way possible. Yes. I mean, the problem is that even our best efforts, like even like the best minds in computer science of today can't always predict what AIs will do in certain situations. So like, for example, there were cases in which like an AI was like trying to like a maximum score at a video game, and he did it by, well, he, it did it by finding a glitch in the game that no one knew existed in the game. And the, it's actually a real problem that we don't actually have the capacity to predict what <laughs> thing is going to do so that we, we can program it with, like, those top gaps in mind. Which is why, like, so many, like, hundreds of, like, PhD papers are being, like, churned out the past like ten years about like how to program such an AI to not be harmful <laughs> because we don't know how to we don't know how the fuck to do it. <laughs> That's so terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> do we okay for real though? Do we even know how consciousness and sentience consciousness work is yet a well silly enough? concept? It's just it's not even. <clears throat> Like, ugh, ugh. It's a silly. It's a it's a nonsense word, honestly. Is it? Yeah. Be, be, being aware of existence is nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it is. I mean, like, we all seem to have this experience, and we 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 all use the same word for it, and seem to know what feeling we are talking about when we say consciousness or awareness. Um, but we we really can't know more than that, that we have some kind of experience that seems to be common. But to, like, think about what the nature of it is, like, all we know about it is is that we talk about it together. That's all we really know about it. 
And we can't even find yeah. it with like MRIs and autopsies and shit. Whereas like other things, so for example, centers of language, we can find those, but like con- consciousness, where, where's that? Like a lot of neuroscientists don't think con- consciousness is a thing. Anything more than like an emergent property that seems to be there. Yeah. I, I, I think for a long time I felt it was just an emergent property. Like, a, like, like a, there's like, no, no science on this. Like, there's no consensus. Like, like something disposable will remember my whole Leibniz spiel. Because, like, when I was little, <laughs> I used to think that. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> consciousness was, or awareness, or self-awareness was just like a universal property of all matter. It just like more complex systems had stronger consciousness. Like it was, a, it was a. Um, and, and I think the way I, this is more recent when I had like formulated what that meant, it meant like the behavior or like the way that a system responded to the environment or the number of possible responses it could have, like the, um, you know, complexity, like the number of variables interacting that gave the complexity of outcomes, like the more complex it was, the more conscious it was it, it was a it was an emergent property of that mm. complexity of response to the environment and and it's similar to Leibniz kind of who had this whole thing about monads I don't know if anybody knew about yes yes <laughs> but it's sort of similar of it's kind of similar and it was cool because I thought of that before reading about monads you know um, so I thought that was really interesting but like oh. his whole hierarchy I... of monads like I jive with it I don't know God is the king. And it's interesting, but also kind of. I really want to keep going, but uh, somebody's asking me for something. I gotta go. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Amen. But uh, I probably should go too, actually, soon. But. um, I really want to get going soon, too. Oh. But, um, yeah. Actually, can I I be selfish for for a second? You want to read your poem? Yes. Because you guys were talking about like automation and um, chaos, and I actually had the perfect thing, and it's actually really cool. I think it's really one of the coolest things I did in my undergrad, right? So, can I just explain this? Yes, and then sure. read yes, it. Yes, please do. So, I was in this existentialism class, right? And the final project was to make an art piece like artistically describing the existential state right okay all right and so what i did is i took like dungeons and dragons dice right nice and i generated randomly like 200 or so different call numbers in the library right and i went into the library and i used various different systems to pick out books with those call numbers <laughs> and I would pick out words from books that I randomly generated and then I had this word bank right and then from that word bank I made a poem and it's called the stratigraphy of because would you like to hear it wait the what it's called the stratigraphy of because stratigraphy what's that stratigraphy I don't even it's like a map term. Okay. I think it's like etching out the terrains, like elevation. Okay. Ele- it's elevation. Elevation levels. Okay. All right. Cool. Go for it. 
Okay, so this is the stratigraphy of because. The father's most insulting failure, the father's most beautiful proposition, is the because. The because spares not the beautiful. The antecedent, death, the beautiful spares. The difference, infected of concepts, restricts pictures of the antecedent. Death cannot infect the beautiful. Death can infect the because. The because cannot spare, cannot beautiful, cannot crescendo. Can the because not infect beautiful pictures of union? Can the death of because be failed? Can the father restrict the crescendo of death, the concept of because? Spare the father's difference. Spare not the low, narrow because, the most beautiful because, the difference of because. Spare not, father. Spare not. You gotta snap. It's snapping. It's snapping for poems, yo. Gotta know the etiquette. Not clapping. That was cool, man. Yeah. Do you like, ever, got, do you read your poetry out loud a lot? Uh, not too, too much sometimes. But you do do it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Alright, yeah. I feel like reading poetry out loud is like, it's not easy. I don't know. No. No, it is not. It's especially <laughs> like when you run out of breath, but then you have like three or four words left in the line, and it's like, oh shit, I did not prepare for this. Yeah. Well, and then you like have to like singing too. Yeah. Uh, you have mm-hmm. to think about that. Yeah. Um, prose is worse because like when I write prose, I have these like really, really long sentences that I like to do, and I can't breathe. <laughs> oh. yeah. That was pretty cool though. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Oh. That was great. Yeah. So much antecedent. Yeah, that was Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting uh, little challenge. I think it's the only time I got an A in a philosophy class what's for that project i think it's like interesting to think about making art that way where you have an element of randomness of like things from the environment that you use to build something Mm -hmm. um that's so different like i could i don't even think i can do that like i don't think that's even possible for me to do um i feel like it always comes from within like i don't get stuff does that make sense like um, which is funny because my dad is like very much like similar to that. Like I know he likes to, he'll like see something interesting in the environment and think, Hmm, I can make a song about that. And like, that's his like creative process. I don't know. Uh, it was interesting. I think it's always fun to have like constrictions and constraints mm-hmm. because it's not like you have a blank page mm-hmm. where you can do absolutely everything. It's like, Oh, I have 50 words. And I need to find a way to make something nice out of them. Well, I guess for me, like when I'm thinking about it, usually there's like an idea or a feeling that I'm trying to communicate. And so that's, Mm -hmm. I guess, the constraint is like trying to communicate that through the means that I can. Like, for instance, like I pretty much have like, oh, my God, it's so fucking cringe. But like, you know, like my guitar and like I play and sing and like that's like the main that's a constraint on the form of what I what I make, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. But like through that medium, uh, I try to express uh, a particular thought in my head or feeling that I have, um, I guess. 
that makes sense. Yeah. Restrictions do read creativity, pro- yes. Yes. As That's one thing I hear about, like, the problem with, like, digital, um, like, music making, mm-hmm. is that you go from, like, when you're learning the guitar, the guitar is always going to sound like a guitar, so you can, like, you have that restriction of just always playing stuff that's a guitar, mm-hmm. but then you have, mm-hmm. but then you load up like Logic or whatever, yeah, and you can have literally any sound from any point in history, and it's like, okay, do something with that, mm-hmm. like Jesus. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Digital like music software is so intimidating. Like I, I just, it's oh just, yeah, it's like so overwhelming. Like. I, I can't, like, I like real instruments. Like, I'm just, that's just the kind of person mm-hmm. I am. Like, I like real things. Like, I, I, I but like, oh God, it's just, blah. it just doesn't feel, and, and also for me, I think with, with music, I, I like the, the playing of it. Um, mm-hmm. not necessarily, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like to have a final creation that, like a recording, like I like that, but the b- best part, part of it, um, is like playing live. I think um, that's when it really comes alive. I guess because it's yeah a form of expression. I don't know. Um, you know people who would actually say that music only exists while it is being played, and it kind of reminded me of that. Well, I think music is great that like um, we have access to recordings now, and we can. It, it's it, it's good that that's how it is like music is so much more diverse like art in general is so much more diverse and like accessible to everybody and not just accessible in the sense that you can can easily consume it but you can easily make it like it's returned the power of art to like the people i guess you know it's not like just a thing where you have to be some rich aristocrat who literally serves the king and like or the church and like writes music it's like anybody with a computer can make music and that's amazing that's a great way to put it yeah um I don't know. And especially when it comes to like, even like the intellectual background of music, I think, I, I I think there's, I mean, when it comes to like Bach and Mozart and such, you can like on a theory level, see that it's like really impressive. But I think nowadays we're kind of, I mean, this, this may speak more to like cultural differences and how culture changed, but like, I just, I, I hear like Mozart and I just think that it sounds kind of pretty. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you can throw on like, I don't know. I don't want to name any musicians because that would be like controversial or just something. Wait, no, matter. fuck it. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, like, I don't know. Emma Ruth Rundle. She is like, she, she's just like so good at like channeling her emotions into song in a way that's completely idiosyncratic to her. I don't even know who that is. Oh, she's great. (laughs) But it is, she's like a post-rock folk type person. I would recommend her. But like, it's, it's just like to the point where like she would be, there was one time where I was listening to like another like ambient album by a completely different person and then I hear like one guitar come on and I'm just like, oh, that's Emma. I didn't know Emma was on this record and she only played like one note and like 
that's that's like completely crazy to me. And it's like, you know, that's not something that I'm like trained to recognize. That's a completely emotional thing. Mm. You know, it's not codified by these like structures that are telling us like this is to be um, exemplified and this is to be avoided. It's like me and it's like a connection between me and the artist, even if that's like terse and not that well thought out. It's still a connection that's not precipitated by anything other than like distribution. Well, wait, were you saying like part of why you appreciated her music was just like her personality through the music? Is that like this, her particular sound? Yes. Rather than any particular like musical complexity or um, technique. Yes. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even sure if her technique is like the best, but it's like very distinctly her. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. In contrast to like, you could argue the contrast between like someone who's appreciating one of the traditionally espoused great composers, you know, like romantic composers yes. or something um, where there you can, there's analysis and technical of their technical prowess. Now, something I would mm-hmm. say, um, the only reason, I mean, it, you can technically break down a rock song and it, there is complexity. It's just a different kind of complexity. Yes. It may not be the same, like, um, you well, know, definitely. about the harmonic structure, but it might be, um, the choice for a certain beat, the inflection of the voice. I mean, they're very intentional decisions that are made in mm-hmm. music. Um, and it's Full just, we don't have, we don't even have, we just haven't had enough time to study it properly to realize what the nuances of, say, rock music are, whereas you've had a lot of time mm-hmm. to uh, analyze the music theory of, you know, traditionally classical music. Um, so, oh, yeah, definitely. So, I, I, like, I, I don't know. Um, like, theory, like, I will always say that music theory isn't, like, a demonizing thing. Like, you know, this whole, like, there's, like, the Lou Reed thing of, like, oh, learning sheet music is, like, shit. But that's completely wrong. Oh, wait, really but, quick. Know, uh, Cryo's right. We have to decide what we're doing next week. Uh, we're just going to oh. finish the Tractatus. Okay. That's cool. All right. Well, uh, 2 p.m., right? I think so, right? Next week, 2 p.m., finish the Tractatus. Mm-hmm. That's cool for your soda. Yes. All right. I have a feeling that once we finish it, we can have more things to talk about it. Yeah, yeah I no, agree. Other than that, it makes a lot more sense, apparently, if you see Chapter 5. Yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I think Yeah, I think it'll be fine. I mean, it's I'm sort of like... Honest, yeah. Chapter 1 through 3 isn't really that groundbreaking. It's basically saying the world is made out of facts and there's atomic facts. Yeah. Number four like, is something that we didn't actually address. Uh, I'm just gonna go for it quickly, but like, there's something that we didn't really address that uh, is actually relevant. Uh, it was like in 2.06. One second. Uh, okay. Existence and non-existence of atomic facts is the reality. The existence of atomic facts we also call a positive fact. Their non-existence a negative fact. So facts about the world, that are part of the world, can also be things that aren't necessarily true. I, I think this is something we didn't cover, and 
feel like it's important to cover it and we should do that next week. Because <laughs> now I have to sleep. <laughs> I think it's important. I honestly that wasn't even listening. I'm so sorry. So, But yes, I'm sure it's very important. No, just basically the general idea that from Wittgenstein, the, the world as it is made of facts is also made of negative facts. Basically of facts that don't have a truth value of mm-hmm. So almost like matter and antimatter. Uh, sort uh, of. I mean, antimatter exists. But I, you know. Well, possibilities, right? Yeah. Like it's just of actualities and possibilities. Getting Leibniz flashbacks, no put, honestly. Yeah. I love Leibniz, dude. Dude, we should read... Oh, I love Leibniz, dude. He's like... <laughs> I love Leibniz. And maybe I just like him because he's weird, because monads are weird, but I also just actually love it. Like, it actually... I just love it. I do. I genuinely do. All right. Well, good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.